begin transmission. Hello, everybody. It is Chris. I'm here with Ben for Tiris Lane Missive. This is an episode talking all about what? Wait, no, we're not talking about Willow tonight. We're talking maybe about that later on. I'm just so hyped up about the show. So uh, between that and, and Indiana Jones and the the Destiny and all that kind of stuff, Indiana Jones Five. I'm already screwing up the title, The Dial of Destiny. Yeah, this is the kind of show we're shooting tonight. Just kind of off the hip. We have some things planned. Uh, Milton's going to try to join us. So we're going to start this thing off. Just me and Ben. How's it going, Ben? Good, good. I mean, another another fun week, even though Star Wars content has ended. It seems like it's only just beginning. Like, a lot of things are picking up as we'll go through tonight. And then, you know, of course, we'll talk about some of the other Lucasfilm-type things. And, you know, just whatever else comes to mind on this uh, kind of miscellaneous show tonight. Yeah, we're really celebrating Lucasfilm tonight. And a good thing I didn't, I never named this podcast specifically with something Star Wars. Yeah, Outer Rim, you can trace that to Star Wars, but it doesn't it doesn't mean it has to be Star Wars all the time. So this might be a monumental uh, episode tonight where we talk about things that aren't exactly Star Wars um, in sort of a main topic sort of thing. But I just yeah. see our main topic is going to be Andor tonight. Uh, we are talking about the season in its entirety, all 12 episodes how we felt the positives the negatives what we took from the season what we're going to glean about what happens in the second and the final season coming out in 2024 so we have a lot to go through as well as catching up on some big news stories that has cropped up on us over the last week um just really talking about the news that broke this week because it seems as soon as a lucasfilm project has ended they just churn up the marketing for the next big thing. So we're going to be talking about Jedi Survivor, maybe some things that Daisy Ridley has teased, as well as Mandalorian getting a season three premiere date. All of that on Outer Rim Transmission, episode number 85. As we always do here, we go we go live every Friday at 9 o'clock Eastern. You can check us out and join in on the discussion in the chat. And we do have Super Chats enabled to support the show financially. And as always, you can download this podcast on any of your podcast apps from Apple to Google to Spotify. We are on there and love you guys to rate us to let us know what you think about the show. So with that off the top, we're going to dive into our week, our week here. Um, I'll, I'll start things off. Um, been pretty busy um finished my review for star wars convergence really enjoyed it really enjoyed it by zarada cordova um so i have that review on on the channel here that's the latest high republic novel high republic phase two quest of the jedi from del rey so there you go other than that i've just been busy playing world of warcraft uh dragonflight expansion i think it's the eighth or the ninth expansion came out this week so been dabbling in that what about you ben yeah, I mean, for me, it wasn't a too it wasn't too eventful of a like weekend Star Wars for me. More of like, I guess you would say like, uh, kind of having to like think like a Jedi on some things this week and the past couple weeks really, just because like so basically over the last few months, I've been dealing with kind of like a nagging kind of cartilage uh, strain, I guess you would say, around like the sternum area, and basically like. I eventually, like, basically took, like, all last week off from lifting, or, you know, basically heavy lifting, and just took all that off, reassessed my entire, like, lifting program, 
and then basically just like have to you know do the whole patience thing and i uh i reset everything and reprogrammed different uh, movements different things and you know this whole week has been perfect actually in terms of lifting so i'm really mm-hmm. really happy actually i with uh you know what what my program turned out to be so it's kind of like a jedi lesson if you will like being patient with with yourself yeah it's difficult to do i have the last several months i've had a nagging um strain that i thought could be a number of things i thought it be i thought it could be a hernia i thought it could be uh traced to my kidneys at some point so i had to go through a number of testing everything got cleared everything's fine but it was kind of annoying because I was like, oh, is this my appendix? Because my family has appendicitis yep. in the family uh, history, right? A gallbladder, stuff like that. It just runs rampant through the family. Um, so I'm like, oh, great. Am I going to have to go through this? Um, yep. But it turns out like, hey, I just had to scale things back myself. And uh, and, and that's what happened. But yeah, I know what you mean. You know, yeah. us, uh, us guys there that really like to be active. Um, the last thing you want oh, yeah. to tell us is to go and... and scale things back and it's like huh yeah what do you mean scale things back i don't know what that means but yeah patience oh, yeah. uh <laughs> as yoda <laughs> once instructed luke skywalker on dagobah is uh is one of the many valuable lessons that george lucas instilled in star wars for sure oh yeah for sure definitely definitely valuable one and um i'm sure there's plenty more of star wars lessons and things we'll be getting into tonight as well with all the lucas film oh, yeah. properties Oh, yeah. So I have a discussion based on our week in Star Wars right off the bat, right off the rip here. I was training with my client today and it, it's great because, you know, some of the clients I have, I could just shoot the crap with them for the full hour session as we're as we're working out. And uh, it just it, it just makes it go by so quickly. Right. Because we are getting in the weeds in between our rest in between sets. We're talking about this, talking about this. And I told him to go watch Tales of the Jedi. And he had come back to me this week after the last. He's like, yeah, I even introduced my my wife to star wars and she technically hates star wars because she knows i'm obsessed with it and just wants to hate on something that you know is kind of just fun to hate on because i'm obsessed with it whatever but he's like i showed her the ahsoka episodes and she really enjoyed them so then i showed her the clone wars episodes that had her in there then i showed her the bad batch episodes and she's asking me like when all of the bad batch episodes so in other words we got in this discussion of like the ways of in um, I want to say like indoctrinating <laughs> our loved ones into Star Wars in a, fa- in a matter of way because like it's so funny because once you get them you can reel them in you know there's like oh you like this and you got to check this character out that appears in this series and then wait till you show wait till you watch them show up in this live action series called The Mandalorian and then you got to go and and and, and yep. check this animated series out and it's just this this deep never ending chasm <laughs> this deep they just keep digging down and down and down to the wonders of Disney Plus as far as uh, you know viewing it on the screen. So I I, I thought that was great because I was just like, yeah, I love when that happens when somebody's like opens their minds to Star Wars a little bit more, and then you have that great satisfaction of steering their ship in in, in what you think could be like the best direction for them to take. Because at this point, it is very much a big thing to get somebody into Star Wars because there's so much media out there there's so much media um you want to point maybe some people to the the stuff that's some of the best stuff based on their interests so if they like the bad batch show them rookies you know show them 
the Umbara arc. Show them the landing at Point Rain Geonosis arc. Like, you want to show them the best of the best to make sure that they're really into this stuff. You know what I mean? Because um, it can be daunting to be like, all right, you got to watch all seven seasons of the Clone Wars and all four of Rebels and all. You know, sometimes people just want to want a taste of it before they dive into the deep end. So uh, have you had any kind of uh, recent things like that have happened with people recommending some certain Star Wars to? I mean, not necessarily, just because like every virtually everyone I know um, either has watched a lot of Star Wars or like, you know, they're just not going to watch it <laughs> no matter what. Um, but no, like for me, I guess I would see more of like the indoctrination doctrining um of people would actually be my niece who's only a year and a half old she loves absolutely loves grogu like i have uh you know i have a couple of those little electronic grogus that are um about life size and like whenever she is here she literally just stands there and just like stares at it and it's so cute um and, you know, whenever she sees that, she just gets so happy, whether we're they're here or, like, we're visiting my, my grandma. And she has, like, a baby Grogu stuffed animal we, we got her. Like, no matter where it is, like, she instantly just goes and, you know, just stares at Grogu and checks him out. And it's like, hey, that's cool. Like, a year and a half old and already, like, recognizing and, like, you know, sticking with that imagery of Grogu of all the potential, like, toys and things to mess with. Like, you know, Grogu's the one she's like gravitating to yeah i mean it's it's made for kids right i mean uh, look at that face yeah. you can't deny that face whoever sees yeah. that young or old is immediately <laughs> infatuated with this character and yep. whoever was the lead designer i guess it was john favreau right that that sketched him or was it filoni one of the two sketched him i'm pretty sure i'm not sure yeah, whose I think it idea was, it was i don't remember it was it was one of those two though um mm -hmm that were the lead ones that did it but yeah. uh but yeah i mean you know so that's i mean heck i'm sure there's plenty of people you know we don't even know that have gotten indoctrined into star wars because of just grogu like oh what's that from and then they watch the mandalorian and then they watch the movies and then they watch the whatever um i'm sh i'm sure there's plenty of people that have gotten into star wars because of that mm-hmm yeah, so tell us below in the comment section or email us at outerroomtransmission at gmail.com. Do you have some stories to tell about, you know, loved ones, friends that you, you showed one thing to and then they got involved? They want to go down the deep end. Let, let's, let's talk about it. Let us know. All right, so getting into the show proper. We had a couple releases that came out this week in the comic book space. We had the High Republic Adventures issue number one coming out from Dark Horse. This is our young kind of uh, younger generation story in the High Republic. And I say that, you know, with asterisks because the High Republic Adventures volume one based in phase one of the High Republic was probably one of the best storylines out of all the High Republic volume one revolving around Lula Talasola and Zine Morala and just this awesome growing up story about these kids in this major disaster. Um, here we have a story about uh, this character named Sav Maligan, who actually appears in Star Wars Adventures, Star Wars High Republic Adventures Volume 1. And she's dealing with some heavy hitters. She's on Takadana. She wants to be fitting in with Takadana's crew at the Maz Kanata's 
palace or castle. So she's actually a, a Jedi Padawan pretending to be a pirate. And she goes to Maz's castle and finds out that Therm scissor punch from Solo's there. And none other than Dexter Jester himself. And we get to see a young spry Dexter Jester who's pretty lean and is a blaster wielding machine because this guy is going up against these weird cult people in the forest and the jungle. And then you actually see Maz Kanata with hair. So there's an evolution of Maz Kanata as jet black hair. So yeah, you got to check out that review I have on the website on youtube.com. I thought you were about to say Dr. Evanson and Panda Baba. I was going to say really, but oh, I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. That's in the, uh, the, the Han Solo and Chewbacca series. No, I'm not even kidding. They, they're literally in there. Um, but we also had the Darth Vader issue number 29, um, in which we have another handmaiden infiltrating the Empire. So we have the handmaiden of Dorme um, that has been finding out the location of her sister-in-arms, Sabe. She believes that has joined the Empire. So she's trying to basically get her to come back to redeem her. Um, so she went to the Empire's, uh, one of their strongholds in the Super Star Destroyer Executor and is cruising around there with none other than... Uh, the guy from Star Wars Rise of Skywalker, uh, Ochi Bastoon. Now, I, I was stalling trying to remember his damn name. How could I forget? Ochi Bastoon. Yeah, so it's a very interesting story because then Sabe is actually on Skako Minor doing a mission for Vader to show her, you know, her, 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 um, what is it called? Her allegiance to the Empire by killing Julian, uh, the, this guy that's the, the, the techno union guy. I'm really terrible with names today. Um, um, oh, what is the guy? He's a separatist leader. He, um, yeah. He's a techno union guy. I know what you're talking about. Watt Tambor. Um, Watt Tambor. Yeah, his, Watt Tambor. His grandson, Jewel Tambor, has started an uprising that the Empire is trying to put down. So Vader's testing the metal of Sabe, saying, oh yeah, are you serious about the Empire? Why don't you go and assassinate Jewel Tambor for me and see how you do. See how allegiant you are to the Empire. And, uh, spoiler, she kills him. So there you go. Um, <laughs> that's the issue there. Um, sorry for people I just spoiled the issue, but, you know, I don't think there's a whole lot of people that, that really are fascinated by the story. It's going on a little bit, a little bit long, in my opinion. Um, but that's a discussion mm -hmm. for another day. I think they just have to get on with it um, at this point, move on to Return of the Jedi era. There's been a lot of Darth Vader flashbacks, and I'm kind of tired of seeing them, frankly. It's like they're showing every possible angle of this guy's life, and it's 29 issues in. It's like, okay, let's, let's move past. But anyway, so what we're going to get into first is our Andor Season 1 breakdown review discussion however you want to slice it we're going to get into more of an over-the-top view because we do have a couple stories that i want to spend some time on tonight and let's just start off with characters um we'll start off with with andor as the titular character of this show ben what'd you think about from the start to finish did you did you see an arc for andor did you see some development for cassian did you see any transformation of, of this character from episode 1 to 12? Oh, yeah. They definitely um, did a good job on, like, you know, giving his character a proper arc, I would say. Because, you know, at the beginning of the show, he started out, started out like, not, not caring for anyone else except for himself, basically. And then, you know, we saw him progress through 
at first wanting just to make money with um, the Rebels, and then it progressed to, obviously, the stuff with Marva, and the stuff with him getting arrested, and, like, just him, like, witnessing a lot of those things happening, like, the the bad things the Empire were doing, whether it be him getting, like, wrongfully arrested, or the stuff going on at the factory, and then, of course, by the culminating, like, in the end of it, with him, like, fully realizing, like, he's more, you know, he's more into, like, the rebellion stuff than what he realized, and now he's, like, into it, and obviously he he joins them based on his, like, interaction with Luthen in the uh, series finale, or in the season finale, so... You know, I think they did a good job on transitioning his character from point A to point, I guess you would say, since this is a few years before his, like, death in Rogue One, maybe point A to, like, point K in his <laughs> arc until he gets to Z at yeah. the end of Rogue One. Yeah. But um, but I would say they did a good job on transitioning his character to, like, you know, now we buy him being part of the Rebellion. Because at first, in the early part of the season, it was like, you know, he's just being, like greedy and about himself and whatever and then i mean heck like sure he he cared about marva when he left but obviously at that time he may have not cared about her as much because you know you you take loved ones for granted and then they pass away and then you're like damn i wish i would like talk to him more so i feel like Mm -hmm. he uh he had something like that going on with him and marva and then you know by the end of it it was like you know he was full full on into the whole rebel stuff yeah, yeah, so I'll echo a lot what you said there, Ben. I love the first three episodes, this deep dive into his behavior, his psyche, essentially just his background, right? He's just this guy that everybody he's got, everybody just has a debt for him. <laughs> you know, he has a debt to everybody in that Farrick's town. And you get to see his converse, excuse me, conversations with just the different locals there and Oh, and he just seems like he's skating by, right? He, he just doesn't have much of direction. He's just trying to get by. Oh, I'll get I'll, money. I'll throw, I have in, this. Real qu- yeah, I'll yeah. throw in real quick and let you continue um, just to throw out there when you're on the early parts of him. A thing to keep in mind is, in my opinion, he's very similar to Han Solo in A New Hope. You know, just a smuggler, just rough and tough, making by, getting his money. First gets hired by the, by the re- rebels to, you know, make some money for doing this mission. And then you know, he gets into the calls, but continue. Yeah, so it, it really seems like, okay, this is a character. We even see the flashbacks pretty neat, seeing the flashbacks, right? Just starting there and getting the the context that he's actually adopted. This is not even, you know, what it's like to be like, because here's the thing. We, we've heard this and in Rogue One. I've been in this fight since I was six years old. So you can extrapolate. I don't know if we really got that in this story, unless they're going to like blow our minds in season two and give us something there. But I was fully unexpecting to see like Andor maybe throwing stones at some like soldiers walking by or something as a kid. But yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think, I think with that, I mean, obviously like Tony Gilroy knows Rogue One because he was like a heavy handed part in it. I really think, that probably was more along the lines of like, maybe not like, you know what I mean? Literally like, you know, he's been maybe involved with the empire, like messing up his life since he was six years old. But, you know, I, I feel like it, I feel like it's more along those lines. Like, you know, the empire's has been in his life and messing up his life since then, I would say. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. 
What I will guess. Yeah, what I will say is I was a little bit surprised in at least in the beginning parts of of season one, where it felt like Andor was a lot more passive, meaning he was kind of standing back, observing a lot. Like you didn't see like rousing speeches of Andor or anything in particular that was like stand out, right? Like he was more or less like a a passenger on this train. Like he was just along for the ride. There wasn't any stand. I was like thinking in the early part of the season, I'm like. This is Andor, but you know I'm almost caring more about the stuff with Luthen, Mon Mothma. Yep. He's very passive. He's not really putting himself out there. Um, it's almost like the viewer. He's like the vehicle for the viewer to like experience like the first uh, signing up of the rebellion, so to speak, and and getting involved, getting involved that way. But then by the end of the season. Uh, the trials and tribulations were perfectly sewed together, whether it be him getting in that blaster fight at the end on, on Ferris in episode three to uh, going on the heist and, and really seeing how the rebels operate um, the manifesto of Nemec and, and getting all that information there to the jail and working with camaraderie with other people that would eventually get turned into this rebellion of these free people, these alliance of the people, uh, and, and seeing, um, what is his name, Kino Loy, uh, played by Andy Serkis, that guy imprinted. So it's neat about this series is you have all these big people in the lives of Andor that rubbed up, rubbed up on him that you eventually see an amalgamation of those character traits in his character in Rogue One. And certainly by the end of, of, of season one, you're already seeing that and you're seeing the character change and just Marva too, his, his mother, right? His adopted mother rubbing off on him with the rebellion and, and the, that whole tragic thing of not actually seeing his mother pass away, you know, personally. And, but just the, uh, the resilience of Andor being able to get out of these situations that he finds himself in having to think on his feet, right, with the guy like Skaven or whatever his name was, when he just blasted a point blank, the guy wanted to raid with the money, and eh, no, I'm going to kill you. So there's a lot of point blank moments like that, which were pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, those type of, like, up-close moments with casting were really good. Um, just because, you know, we don't we don't get a lot of those with, with many of the Star Wars characters because, you know, they're movies or shows, like, and, uh, you know, there's more of like an ensemble cast, I guess you would say. And um, and yeah, so like they had some good up-close moments with him, whether it be like the blaster moments, like you said, with, with uh, that guy or with whether it be with Luthen or, you know, whoever. I mean, I mean, heck, even even him going to that, I mean, pretty much Star Wars Miami and going <laughs> to that hotel, yeah. like that whole thing. Like, I mean, you know... W- that's all just like new imagery and new stuff on screen in star Wars. So like, it's cool kind of like seeing that sort of stuff. And uh, yeah, I just, I just think it's a really good job on how they um, executed those up close moments with, with Cassie. And I would say, yeah. So I mentioned the guy's name already, but Luthen rail played by Skellen Starsguard and Stellan Skarsgård and and this guy was a dark horse right we didn't know anything about this character he's not an established character in Star Wars made up just for the show but I think by the end of this he's going to be like the father of the rebellion right we're going to get this retroactive 
Maybe, maybe. What I'm thinking is like in the comics and the books, like we might get like retrofitting of like, oh yeah, this guy named Luthen Rail like got these groups together. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, you see that speech at the end of episode, what is it, 10 or something? When he's down in the underbelly of Coruscant, he's like, yeah, you know, the, the whole monologue he gives about basically his life is at forfeit. He's sacrificing all the joys of life to basically create the rebellion, which he'll probably not see. And I think maybe his name will never get out because he'll just die in infamy and just like, hey, Mon Mothma takes his job and basically unites everybody. But yeah, this mysterious character from the ship, the Fondor ship with the cool little droid brain to the cool moments of him pulling up his hood over his head like a badass to piling the Fondor and acting I think that the coolest thing about this character is he is one of the uh, best representations of what the show was originally pitched to be, which was like the spy thriller story. And he is very much a spy. I mean, it doesn't get more much more spy than a guy putting on a wig, putting on a completely different personality and being able to escape between the politics of Coruscant in the heart of the empire, mind you, to working in the outer rim is setting up these different things and keeping an eye on people like Andor and all that sort of thing. But yeah, just the delivery of Stellan Skarsgård's lines, the writing, everything about the character. He brought so much gravitas that anytime he was on screen, I immediately like kind of like sat up in my seat like, ooh, what, what's going to happen? Because stuff is, you know, this show is a lot more built on dialogue than it is action. And I applaud it for that. Um, and this character definitely has a lot more of those slower parts of the of the show but they have a lot of momentum and they mean a lot every time he's on there there's something important happening yeah yeah his his character was one of the best um probably the best like slow slow moment characters for sure you know like when it comes to all of this sort of stuff like just because you know no you know i feel like with cassian like we mentioned early parts of the show his character was kind of like in the background Obviously, Cyril will get to him. Like he, he didn't really achieve anything much. Um, and then, you know, I, I feel like the the two lead characters for, like, you know, the best like monologue type people. It's definitely Luther or Deidre for sure. I think those are the best ones. Um, and him, obviously, he's the best one on like the rebellion side. Um, just for the his acting, like you said, whether it be the speech, whether it be his. Uh, his actual like acting in universe or whether it be like the ending um, or even his interaction with Saul Guerrero was really good. Like those different things I feel like were really good parts of his character. And then of course, like you mentioned his character out of all the characters, even Cassian was by far like the best one in terms of uh, like embodying like the whole spy thing because this series mm -hmm. didn't have really much of that at all other than Luthen stuff and like to me i think i brought it up last week and uh, i feel like this week's even more of an appropriate time to bring it up but i think this show the more i look at it as a whole is a prequel to that of to the whole spy thing of what they were saying they were trying oh, yeah, to do yeah, yeah, yeah. like like i think this show was definitely the prequel to what they were originally pitching to the audience <laughs> and then we're gonna then we're gonna actually get mm -hmm. what they were pitching in season two yeah yeah andor rebel spy right now that andor is fairly yeah. cemented in a rebellion we're gonna see a week-to-week 
uh, sequence of him sneaking around um, in the yep. underbelly of places uh, like Coruscant, maybe, or um, or the one planet or the planetoid asteroid that he was uh, in in Rogue One. There's that location. Uh, Ring of Kafreen, Ring of Kafreen. I'm saving oh. myself today. Here, look at that. Look <laughs> at these names, man. Star Wars, as it gets larger and larger, and I get older and older, it's harder for me to recall some of these different names. <laughs> anyway, I'm acting like I'm 80 <laughs> years old now. I'm, I'm not even half that, people. But anyway, <laughs> um, let's talk about Mon Mothma, right? So Mon Mothma was another big uh, character, and, and the actress Genevieve O'Reilly was constantly on the posters, constantly in the interviews as probably the second lead character of this entire series, right? You can't really have a rebellion story without her. We've seen how important she was in Rebels. We see things that maybe we'll get a crossover with with next season with this whole Gorman thing that was even mentioned in this first season. But I love what Genevieve O'Reilly brought to this because she's absolutely no action scenes at all. Everything is dialogue, but it's powerful dialogue, and it's dialogue and, and it's stories that I never expected to see in Star Wars. Like between two locations, or really, like she's either in a speeder car, she's at the uh, Den of Antiquities, whatever you want to call it, the, the little artifact room showcase of of Luthen Rail, or she's at her own her own humble abode there in the higher levels of Coruscant. The stuff with the family was really interesting with Lita and Perrin and how she's able to kind of be the enemy to her own family. And you see there's the different maneuvering about how she gets in deep. Like she thinks like, oh yeah, the rebellion's gonna be it's gonna be like the White Knights. Nah, it's not. We've seen from Rogue One, the first couple minutes, there's a guy being shot by a rebel officer, right? The rebels don't start this war off in the best of ways. They have to go and do the dirty deeds to get their funds. And we see that from Mon Mothma getting in over her head with this whole Aldani situation and making the choice. I think a lot of the, the good things about this series is you get to empathize with the choice that these characters make, these tough choices. She needs this money bad. This money is going to be what makes or breaks some big operations in the rebellion that they're going to need these funds. But the only person she could turn to is a mafiosa that is basically going to marry off her child to this person, arrange this marriage. And, uh, well, it seems like Lita doesn't care a whole lot. But for Mon Mothma, she knows this single-handedly firsthand because she was the, uh, the the product of this whole old Chandrillan custom of, oh, yeah, her life is miserable. Her personal life, as you can see, is not on the best of straits with her husband. And uh, so she knows how tormenting that life can be and the fact that she follows through and actually gives her daughter away to this guy for the money i i think that could be how we get to see mon mothma maybe separate from the family life and just go full in on the rebellion next season is because she's not going to have the, the the as strong of attachments to saving her family as much anymore because she already gave him away and she, you even see the last episode she's getting more cunning she's throwing her husband under the bus to like lead mislead the ISB. So she's catching on quick with the dirty ways of starting a rebellion. And and so I'll throw this over to you, Ben. What'd you think of Mon Mothma? Yeah, I mean her character, um, next to Cassian obviously, her character was definitely 
the second best arc, I would say, in the show, just because even though she didn't have action sequences, like as you mentioned, it was really nice getting to see her character go through her own um, struggles and things, if you will, from the start, from her basically being, you know, like I said, from the start, from the beginning, just the, the rich person writing the checks to, oh, dang, now I have to actually get involved and I have to sacrifice things. So, like, of course, it's great getting to see her um, have to do that because, honestly, I would have kind of been critical of that if they would have not had her struggle at all because you have to have her character struggle and, like, sacrifice something. I mean, you know, we've, we've seen that, like, all throughout Star Wars, whether it be, like, Leia losing Alderaan or, or uh, different characters like that, Luke losing his family, etc. Um, so, like, it's great getting to see a... An iconic character, an iconic background character, I guess you would say, of Star Wars actually have to deal with some struggle as well. So I really enjoyed that. And then, um, of course, just getting to see the way Genevieve O'Reilly portrayed her. I think her her acting was arguably, um, I think, I think between, I, I think your three best actors of the series are her, are uh, Genevieve O'Reilly, the girl that plays Deidre, and then mm-hmm. Luthen. I think those are your three best for the series so far um just because like you know the way she portrayed mon mothma was done really well uh whether it be like the delivery of the lines whether it be like the more high stakes moments or the emotional moments with her family and uh as you mentioned i think with her now giving away her daughter i would honestly if i did if i had to guess i think we're, we we could even get a a uh a little time jump from this season to season two. And we, we might even just totally cut out like Perrin might not even be back. Like they might, they might not even bring the family back for season two. Like she might just be full blown into the rebellion mode in season two. Yeah. I don't think Um, they have time. I don't think they have time with, with 12 episodes left and they're going to be like year gaps. They're going to just assume the audience knows like, okay, it's a year later. Um, that that's her past. Now she's, she's, gonna be involved heavily with with the rebellion or at yep. least like gonna be less with the family we're gonna see her doing more politics with the different sects i won't be surprised if we see a scene or two with her and bail organa you know yep oh yeah I, I i'm sure we'll probably see some of that i mean heck i could see we just getting a line like riding off the husband in early season one just her being like hey when i like, I, you know, you, you could just easily see Luthen asking what happened to the husband and daughter and mm-hmm. her basically being like, hey, you know, you said we had to give up sacrifices or, you know what I mean? Like, her basically regurgitating Luthen's, like, sacrifice thing back to him. Um, I could see something along those lines happening. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm I, I'm really interested to see where her, her character goes into the second season um, just because, you know, it you have to amp up her stakes somehow now that the dog now that the family's out of the picture now it's like obviously cassie and stakes are we're just going to get action stuff with him or you know stuff he's in maybe death defying situations or something but like mon mothma is going to be interesting because will it be something like is she going to deal with something like padme and attack the clones where she has like those alien lizards coming in to like take her out or you know something <laughs> something something like that i mean i mean just because if she raises too many red flags, like who knows what could happen. So 
I feel like her stakes will have to get raised a little bit, whether it be like her almost getting caught or, you know, something along those lines. And I, I'm excited to see where, you know, we get f- from from basically here to there. Yeah, it's it's very cool when you have legacy characters and, you know, nothing fatal can happen to them, but it's the writing around the characters that they interact with, which build up the stakes, because there are plenty yeah. of characters we haven't seen before, one of which you've mentioned a few times called Dedra Mero, supervisor of the yeah. Imperial Security Bureau, a.k.a. ISB. This is our first look in live action at an ISB officer just how they operate on Coruscant was mind-blowing enough for me, just finally getting to see, like, the core intelligence of the Imperial bureaucracy there, and just getting to see her rise through the ranks of the Imperials, and how we always know in the Sith, right, the Sith are always trying to kill each other off, and, you know, Palpatine kind of instilled the same sort of fatal competition in his underlings in the Empire, and you get to see uh, the one, what is his name, Bleming or something like that? Something Blevings, like that. Blevings, who is her contemporary. They're going uh, they're going at it, and she uses the Aldani situation to get the, uh, one up on him to get the information from Steergarden about this different device to get the jurisdiction, basically, of Ferrix and to go after Andor in a more efficient way. So I really liked her tenacity to continue to see this personal vendetta through. And you could tell this is a really well-written character when you're cheering basically for this fascist person part of this tyranny of the Empire. And then you get to a certain episode and it makes you think, why am I cheering for this person that's horribly torturing this other character that I like? And then it realized, oh, wow, they flipped a switch on me on this one. So I can't give enough praise to the creatives as well as the direction and, of course, uh, Denise Goh's performance as Dedra for making her one of the best Imperial villains I've seen in a long time. And I'm going to just lay down that law right now, <laughs> lay down that, that statement very comfortably saying she definitely is. And in that moment, she was very scary. But then... We get to see more development from her in that last episode. She's walking tall with her Death Trooper escort. Oh, we're going to crush these these people if they try to do anything. To her just getting absolutely shook from just the the craziness, the mayhem that ensued with that whole Rick's Road uh, little riot there. And and now it's like, okay, well, now I'm not sure. Is she, is she going to go full-blown Empire mode now? Or is she just gonna say it's not worth throwing my life away in this cause anymore let me let me just go completely out of here so that character has been on one hell of a roller coaster and again just like um the character of luthan rail and you guys you and milton ben were talking about this anytime you see her on screen you're just paying attention because that imperial storyline is just so interesting you're these guys are so uh, dog eat dog in that world and it's really cool to see the inner workings of how that all works and 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 like um, Andor was saying you get to see the Imperial perspective through her eyes and about how the Imperials are so comfortable they're so comfortable because it's been 15 years into their reign and there's just nobody that can stand up against them they are the dominant force of the galaxy who's going to have the audacity to be able to go after them in, in their own home and uh, it's we're seeing that happen. They they can't be resting on their laurels forever. Oh yeah, for sure. Her character, 
you know, they did such a good job with her and like all of those aspects that you mentioned, like whether it be like from the start, from her like climbing her way up the ladder to becoming ruthless to where she gets left off at. Like I think I think like you said, Denise Go did a really, really good job on her acting, um, for sure. Like just all of her different interactions, whether it be with like the other fellow Imperial officers or, or even Cyril, like just all the different her all the different moments with her. I think she did she did a really good job. Like those interpersonal moments like we mentioned with Cassian and Luthen. I think she did a really good job in those as well. And um yeah, I mean, heck, uh, we I mean, I kind of predicted it last week and here we are like I'm not sure if it was on our show notes. It might be, but you know, Denise Go did an interview this week and and she literally said like there's plenty more of of Deidre like doing villainous things in season two of Andor. So it sounds like she is going to be a good part of season two. So to me, I think it's going to be off that kind of prediction I mentioned last week in our finale review. I think it's going to be, she's not going to be shook. I think she's going to come back with like a vengeance of I'm going to crush like these, these people into the dust. You know, I think it's going to be something along those lines. So like, you know, that interview with her, it kind of, like, gave more credence to that. And, uh, yeah, it's just, like, you, you know, if you think about it, we had the different, uh, like, brutal methods the Imperials used in this season. Like, what will they do in season two with her being basically Ooh. pissed off? Like, Ooh, what, will they, what will they do then? Like, you know, what's she going to do? Send a squad of death troopers into somewhere to, like, just wipe out some potential... <laughs> innocent rebels or you know like are we gonna see something like uh you know uh whatever it may be like just just something like that on screen which would be crazy but i mean hey they're they're touching like that line with this show so they might go there yeah yeah so so those are the main characters I wanted to talk about because all those leave a lasting impact. Um, of course, you have so many other characters. I think there's more characters in this show than probably any other Star Wars live action show. Oh. It's a lot more of a, a wider scope, which is funny because it's called Andor, but yet it's got like the biggest cast. And, you know, originally I was like, hey, this, this show should be called like uh, Spark of Rebellion or something. You can come up with any term, right? But but. Um, Disney loves to stick to their, their main character names because I guess it helps out all the metrics or something. Um, but we're going to see, I mean, especially going into season two, Andor is going to be front and center now that he's solidified in his his ideology now, uh, thanks to Nemec and his little manifesto he's been listening to. He, and the things he has seen, he's going to go through it all. But uh, let's talk a little bit about just the feel of this series, the cinematography, the sound just the way that we are basically immersed in this galaxy and a story. And it's, and I'll start off with this one because it's clearly evident that this is a lot different than Obi-Wan Kenobi. This is a lot different than Book of Boba Fett, than the Mandalorian. Whereas those things were mainly shot on the volume. You could see that they went out, they built an entire city of Ferrex out there in the UK, I believe it was. They went to the Scottish hillsides, all these places. They went through a lot of time in production. I think this thing was in production for about two years or something crazy like that. And it shows, like, uh, this is cinematic movie quality. And uh, it just, it really just lends itself to the immersiveness of, of just being 
interested and engaged in this story because all this stuff really does truly look lived in. The culture of Ferrex, incredible. Those first three episodes, just laying down how everybody works. They got the wall of the gloves. They got the time grappler who's hitting on the anvil, turning on uh, the messages for people to either go to sleep or start work, right? It's It really took its time, and I appreciate that about the show. It took its time to establish Aldani as this place where it's the more royal area where you got these people that are shepherds of these sheep, and they're having to have this religious uh, thing called the... Um, the eye that's happening and they don't want to leave, but the empire is pushing them out. There are so many great little lore details in the show that help the environment just establish even more. The prison this like kind of THX 1138 spin on a star Wars prison. That was just, man, I wouldn't, Oh man, it's, it's terrible to be in that situation. But yeah, what are your thoughts on just the overall feel, the environments and all that in this story? Yeah, I mean, I would say, like, we, like we, we mentioned it, I mean, consistently throughout the whole running of this show, like, the cinematography is great, like, the visuals, whether it be the locations, the costume design, um, the color palette, I think, was really, done really well for it to be, like, not dark, you know, it's more, like, gloomy, like, a gloomy color palette, because, like, that fits with, like, the Empire being more, like, oppressing over everything, basically, um, so I think they did a good job with the color palette. And then, you know, again, like, you know, I, jo- I jokingly have talked about it throughout this season, but it's like, man, you watch this and you wonder why, why they didn't swap this show in Kenobi's budget. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's what I wonder. Um, cause it's like, man, that was your legacy character. But, um, but yeah, like this show, they did a really good job with the, all the on location stuff. I think, um, like you mentioned, there's not any like, drastic moments like for example you know in kenobi i think one of the most noticeable moments where it's like man you know you're really noticing the volume when it's the either the second or third to final episode it's when it's when reva goes and takes it captures him in and out of that building like and all those stormtroopers are there like that whole that whole thing you can literally see the background of the volume like you can literally like see like almost see the wall so it's just um you know, that's like a stark difference. And then, Ma- I mean, Mando Mando does everything fine just because the volume's meant to be like, you know, Westerns are meant to be shot in that, so it works fine for that. Like, Kenobi, that was a disaster, in my opinion, on several of those moments. But this show, like, there was not anything that stood out negative, like, visually. I think they did a good job with all of that. And then, I mean, heck, the, the uh, like, the space battle with Luthen, I think they did a really good job on for it being a TV show. Like, it felt cinematic, like, movie quality. I thought that was done really well. And then, uh, yeah, I think, they just, I think they just did a really good job on the cinematography of it all. Like, that, and then for me, I think the pacing, like I mentioned before, I mentioned it several times in the first half of this mm-hmm. show. Like, the pacing, I didn't like in the first half. I can just flat out say that. Like, ah. first, six, first six episodes... I think it was bad, flat out bad pacing. Oh, no. um, like there's there's no way around it for me. I I, I think it was. Um, I think a lot of the pacing issues could have been solved if, say, the first two, maybe three episodes were slow like that, and then episode four on were better, be upbeat. Because like like I think I think the show started picking up in episode six, moving further because then 
the pacing, even the slower moments were cut better. I think like the moments, um, like Cyril talking with his mom, even though I'm not a fan of that character, obviously like the moments in the second half of the season when he's talking are better than the first half because you're not lingering and lingering and lingering on those scenes. So like for me, I think a lot of the editing was the issue in the first half of the season, but you know, the second half was done really well. Like I, I really enjoyed the second half of the season a lot um, compared to the first half. So yeah, like I, I think that's kind of like my thoughts on the pacing and then, yeah. I, also, um, actually now that I mentioned it, um, mm-hmm. the color palette, I, I think the color palette is an interesting thing for our viewers okay. to look at. And even on a rewatch, I feel like the color palette was consistent on, like, Aldani, the end of the show. But I feel like the episode when where he goes to, like, Miami, basically, <laughs> I feel like it was a brighter color oh, palette now that I think about it. It was. So, so like, it, it's cool that they changed the color palette like that and didn't leave it consistently, like, gloomy. Um, yeah, so that's just a nice little touch they added. Yeah, one of my biggest takeaways from Andor Season 1 is the set pieces. Man, oh, man. Yep. I like, and just to prelude that, the, the cool structure, the Clone Wars-esque structure of the three-episode arcs that lead to the big finale that lead into the next arc. And it just snowballs, right? You got the, the breakout See, of Ferrix, which leads to I mean, Aldani, look, season, which season leads two's to four arcs. the prison. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, But the set pieces were something that, for me personally, added so much tension, more tension than I've seen in Star Wars in a long time. Uh, whether it be breaking uh, Andor out of that place with the the chaos of the people hitting back at the um, Morlana One security there, you know, grappling one of their transports to smash it into that machinery, just like absolute crazy stuff, like a little like guerrilla warfare tactics happening there. To the awesome heist, and I said it before, I'll say it again: the best heist in Star Wars history, um, live action, is just the whole thing with them. You see the payoff of them training to be like the Imperials, of them having this master plan with this damn fortification and, and sneaking in and doing this Mission Impossible, repelling down walls and going under the water and taking hostages and just the escape and the shuttle with this, some of the best cinematography I've seen in Star Wars with the eye, with just all the stars and the meteorites going through the sky and having that as a constant reminder throughout the episode it's just like a chef's kiss to the episode like holy crap just the amount of attention to detail everything and just the just the ratcheting up of tension to the jailbreak i mean you've seen it coming obviously andor's can't be in there he's not going to be in there for six years because that would mean he's past (laughs) rogue one so we knew that was coming and it was just this epic moment of these people rising up and the music and the inspiring speech that Andor prompts uh, Lino Koi, Kino Lloyd to, to give. And it's just, you know, jumping in the water, just like this epic overshot of the facility to represent the look of an Imperial cog, like all that symbolism. And just the, that is just incredible going into the finale and just seeing the people rioting, seeing how fast the Empire turns to kill these people, you know, taking their blasters off a of stun and setting it to kill. And I could just go on and on because each one of those four episodes having those flashpoint elements was just bravo to the team because they killed it. And that's the the maturity of all that stuff happened 
really felt like it for me was like more of like on par with like sort of like an HBO or AMC kind of uh, drama at that point. Oh yeah, they did they did a really good job with like the arcs and like the the stakes and um you know, like you mentioned the different like build ups inside of them, whether it be like the prison break specifically, I think they did a really good job with that and you know, all the other different ones throughout the show. Like they did a um a good job of having like multi layered arcs going on like that for different um you know, different parts of the story really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about um, what were your what were some of your hang-ups on on this season? We've been talking about the praise now. What were some things that left you maybe wanting more, man? Yeah, I would say for me, like I mentioned um, just a few minutes ago, first half of the season to me was almost a total throwaway. Hey, like I just I, I don't have any desire to ever watch the first half of this show again. But like the second half of the season, I could I could rewatch some of those episodes for sure, just because, like I think the pacing was just so bad, just flat out bad in the first half. I that's what really was like dragging the show for me so much. I mean, like I remember like you know us talking about having different relatives, like being like, hey, what is the action going to pick up, or like <laughs> what's going on here with the story? I think that was what like what do you say your cousin or something asked you that? Yeah. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so like you know, y- different things like that. I think were the issues in the first half of the season. Uh, and then another like issue I feel like was uh, was wasted. You know, I, I feel like we've we've been dunking on this character all season long, and too bad Milton's not here to dunk with us. But um, Cyril's character, I feel mm-hmm. like honestly. He didn't contribute much to the show. Like you could cut him out and still basically get the same end result for the most part. Like he really wasn't yeah. that integral, that integral for Deidre. So to me, it just felt felt like wasted screen time. Like I'd rather cut his screen time and give it to like Deidre or I mean Andor, the lead character of the show, give him more screen time, um, like doing some stuff or even. I mean, just other Imperial stuff, some more like external shots of like, I don't know, stormtroopers marching, like, you know, just like, just something because I feel like his character was kind of unnecessary. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, I, I mean, th- I think that was like my big issue with the show really was just the, the pacing in the first half of the show to me, didn't feel like star Wars very much just because it was like, you know, like I said, I, I have no desire to watch the first half of the show like ever, ever again. But, um, but you know, that's just because like this show, you know, the first half of this season wasn't like, like to me, the second half of the series felt like star Wars. 100% Mm -hmm. did Mm -hmm. just because like it was more upbeat, more action. The editing was more, not choppier, more, um, I mean, I guess the George Lucas thing faster, more intense, like, you know, that (laughs) whole thing. Um, it, it was more of that, even in the even in the conversation pieces, like I mentioned with Cyril, the the conversation was cut down more, so it was it was done better. Like I think it was in like the sixth or seventh episode, whenever he was watching the news, like that was good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you know that that even that scene was was edited well, and like the second half of the season, it just felt like felt like whoever was doing the editing, you might have had two different people. It felt like doing the editing on the first half and second half of this show. Like I think that was my big hang-up with the show overall was just the editing in the first half. I think was was poor, but 
and then just wasted screen time with Cyril. But other than that, like, I really didn't have any, like, massive, massive issues with the show. Um, overall, I th- the music was fine. I don't think, I don't think the music was, like, you know, there wasn't any, like, iconic yeah, music beats I, I think we'll ever go back to. I, I think the music, it was just average music. I mean, heck, that's even kind of like Kenobi. Kenobi didn't have that, I mean... There's, I can't recall a Kenobi beat like right off the top of my head, but Mando, you know, Mando like that, that the the opening entrance to Mando like that's as iconic as about anything in Star Wars now. Even Book of so, Boba like, Fett has a very memorable theme for oh, him. Oh, I, that's one thing. Don't get me wrong. I have a lot of critiques of Book of Boba, but <laughs> I I love that. I love that opening soundtrack. I really do with that show. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think the music was just average on this show, and uh. Yeah, I mean, that's one, uh, or those are my only few, like, major issues with this series. And then I think one praise we forgot to mention mm-hmm. was they need to continue giving us almost hour-long episodes. Oh, yeah. Like, that was, Ooh, that, that that's was a great. major, 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 major thing. Because to me, that's another major question in and of itself. Like, this is all me going back on whoever's doing the budgeting over there, actually. Because... You know, like, all right, so we're giving hour-long episodes to a more expensive project, and then we're giving 35-minute episodes to shows in the volume. Like, what, wait, like, what's going on here? <laughs> so, uh, so you know, just like, you have it backwards. If you want to save money, if you want to save money, like, do longer episodes in the volume and short episodes for the bigger budget show. <laughs> but, yeah, um, really. I don't know, I, I just thought it was very strange in that regard. Like, th- obviously, the episodes being long are good, Mm-hmm. It just it's just strange allocation of funds, I guess I would say. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll echo you with the editing. Um I was fine with the pacing. It's just the way that the first couple episodes ended. I think that's the discussion I was having with one of my clients, one of my friends or whoever. It was just like, Oh yeah, the episodes just sometimes they just kinda end and you're just like, Oh, that was well, the episode. It, was it the was it the second one? Yep. Was it the second one where it's Cassie and just like staring or whatever and it just cuts? Yeah. And it's yeah. like it's a it's very like, strange way. They don't have like a cliffhanger at all or any reason to like, oh, I got to watch the next one right away. It's just like a scene ends and it's like, oh, okay. Well, see, when we watched that episode, I mean, I probably mentioned it during our review. Like, I must have glanced out my phone for like a half second because I thought it was going to cut to another scene. And then I looked up and it was like credits and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's like, it you, it's like you missed something because at one point, like on Aldani, he's like, Oh, like he gives the guy like this piece of technology and is like messing with it. And the scene ends and it's like, it's over. It's like, okay. Um, and yes, yeah. I know, I know. The 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 Kyle Soller character of Cyril Karn. I was championing <laughs> this guy. I think that's the actor's name, right? Yeah, I believe so. Um, I was championing because he had such a strong start. Like this police guy that is trying to make a name for himself and he blunders because of his overconfidence will be his downfall. And next thing you know, we see like six or seven episodes with him like in the same location. If they moved his location around a little bit, it would have been a little better, but there were, I agree. I I can't really defend the character as much (laughs) as I liked him. I can't defend him enough to be like this character deserved to have all this it was almost like they were like saying like it was almost like they're saying oh this character is going to play a huge role uh we don't want you to forget about him so we're going to just spend like at least like 30 seconds an episode just like looking at him or something and then 
I mean, it's arguable to be like, well, was his ending of season one really all that that big to warrant all the screen time just could, for the that, one that could have been an imperial officer saving her not yeah and not him yeah exactly so unless like like milton's <clears throat> excuse me like like milton said last week unless they're going to try to force force develop some weird love angle with him and deidre in season two like that's the only way i could see that being a thing or like maybe i guess if you want to stretch it like maybe Deidre sees him saving her as like, hey, you can join the Empire now. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Just because you acted out against these rebels. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, kind of wrapping up our season one discussion and giving <laughs> our final scores, I will say that this right now is the best live action Star Wars series. I won't say it's my favorite, but I'll say like it's the best in terms of breaking the bonds that we're used to with Star Wars and being unique and being uh, bold, right? Like this is the first Star Wars story that is not dealing with as much mythology, really barely any, not dealing with the tropes we've seen in Star Wars. And I appreciate it the heck out of it for that. Because it's doing something new, it's doing something different, and all that stuff works. It feels the most grounded in reality, right? You could take the Star Wars off, and whether or not, I know you're not a huge fan of that whole aspect of, oh yeah, if you take the Star Wars off of it, what is it really? But I, I like that, because it means that, it, it, just because it's not, just because it's Star Wars doesn't mean it's automatically good all the time. Like, it doesn't, this is a good story in its own right, because it's built up by great acting, great writing, Great cinematography, great direction, really great uh, special effects, right? Some of those battle sequences are really, you feel like you're a band of brothers and all that sort of thing. We're seeing things in this series that we haven't seen in Star Wars before. Just the in-depth look at how a person gets tortured by this sound wave device. Like, that was horrifying. Seeing how the, the, the... I've never seen such a study of the culture of characters in a location like Ferrix and really seeing the inner workings of how that culture works from morning to afternoon to day. These people having these interactions where we're getting more of these characters built up. Seeing so much political thriller-esque storylines is really cool in Star Wars because we haven't really gotten that. All the stuff with Mon Mothma is fantastic. Stuff with Luthen is awesome. Just the way that this Again, it's not... When it comes to Star Wars storytelling with George Lucas, he was always making a commentary on what was happening in the current time. We haven't really seen that recently in Star Wars a lot, but what Tony Gilroy managed to do is he does that on a number of occasions in the story, and for that I appreciate it. It really hits home just as different aspects of the prison system and just people and, and, and everything else. It's a, it's a much deeper way of looking at things there's a lot of a lot of nuance in this in this show a lot of reading between the lines nothing is spelled not everything is spelled out to the viewer and it it seeks us to 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 look for answers and to look for information not in a bad way but in, in kind of like a fun way like oh you have to like actively listen to this show you have to actively 
pay attention. And, and, and sometimes like, I feel like with TV these days, it's like they make it so easy to absorb the stuff that half the time we could be on the phones and still understanding what's happening. And I don't know if that's a good thing, honestly. So the fact that they weigh the importance of this show to expect the viewers to, to really pay attention. And we're seeing a rebellion being born here. We're seeing stuff that we've seen in other mediums, sure. But this almost felt like a Star Wars novel to me, where you had all these characters, and a lot of them are just like the everyday person. We have not gotten that. All we've gotten so far in Star Wars is the generals, is the big sorcerers of it all, not not the everyday guy, which is going to end up helping beef up the stakes in the long term of things. So with that being said, I got to give Andor a score of a 9 out of 10. I think that ties it with Mandalorian Season 2 with me. Um because I love that series just enough, but for the opposite reasons, really, almost. Um, so I'm going to throw it over to you, Ben. Yeah, I would say for me, I think the series overall is solid. I think it has its issues, like I mentioned, first half of the season, toss it out. But the second half of the season, I think, is is good enough to where it has a lot of good moments in it. Um, and like for me, with the whole... Star Wars thing like I think to me this is not the best live action show I think that's the Mandalorian still by far even the Mandalorian season one like the Mandalorian season one you know it doesn't have any cameos at all really other than like Boba Fett's boots in episode five um but it doesn't have any cameos really and it still was a phenomenon of a show like it has a good story good enough story action, things like that, editing, music, etc. I think it, that show still is superior for a lot of those reasons, for it like feeling like Star Wars to me. Because to me, like just because a show, like, like I said, I, I've consistently, I think, posted about it um, throughout the show. Like, you know, you talk about like the show being like unique and like breaking away from a lot of the normal norms of Star Wars. But, like, to me, it's like, do we need that for great Star Wars storytelling? Because, like, you know, Mando, awesome show. Well, you know, one of the best one of the best shows out there right now. And then, like, you know, obviously, you can't just fall back on the whole, oh, it's just it's just Star Wars, and it'll work because it clearly didn't with the Book of Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they thought that with that show, mm-hmm. and they completely botched it. Yeah. So, like, other than the Mando episode of all things. <laughs> so, you know, they, uh, like, you, you just can't fall back on, oh, it's Star Wars. You have to have a good, a good enough story, good enough, like, editing, action, um, and things like that to go along with it. But I think that's, for me, why Mando is still the best show, by far, I think. And then, you know, I feel like the other three... Book of Boba is the last, but I feel like Kenobi and Andor can be kind of flip or flop for me just because there are certain aspects of Kenobi. Like, I think Andor has a more, let's just say, consistent, like, mm-hmm. like okay, so like say the second half of the season of Andor. Like I said, first half I'm not a fan of. Second half of the season I feel like has a more, if you'd say a consistent range. Like, it's a consistent, like, B minus, C plus, B solid B, whatever. It has a more like, um, 
kind of like just treading, not treading water, but uh, you'll get where I'm going with this. And then Kenobi, I feel like has more highs than this, than this show. Like, you know, there are more really high moments, but Kenobi's lows are much lower, I think, than this show. There are a lot of more like low moments in Kenobi where it's like, whoa, they did, they really messed up some stuff here and there. So I feel like, like Kenobi has a lot of highs and lows and Andor stays more like in the middle ground in the second half of the season for me. So like, you know, I feel like those shows kind of can go back and forth for me depending on the day or discussion or whatever. Um, so yeah, so I would say that's where I would, I would rank the show. It's somewhere two or three um, on whatever given day. And then in terms of the show, just as a whole, I think, like we mentioned, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good things for me. There's a lot of bad in the first half, but um, overall, I think the strongest parts of the show for sure are the characters mm-hmm. in the show. For me specifically, if I had to rank like characters for most interesting, funny thing is I wouldn't even put Andor in the top three. It would be in no specific order. It would be uh, Luthen, Deidre, and Mon Mothma. I think those yeah. are your top three. I mean, in even heck, even at one point, Kino Loy, like mm-hmm. he's in the top, the top five probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I think they did really good jo- a really good job on those characters, as well as like the actors playing those characters. I think they did a good job. And I think the issue for me and a lot of people going into this show were expectations of, you know, we mentioned it. And now, now that we've gotten to the end of the show and we've discussed it more, is the whole, you know, they, they had all this talk, like a lot of talk of like, action spy thriller, action spy thriller, James Bond in Star Wars, James Bond in Star Wars, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then we get to the show and Andor is not doing like any of that stuff. So it's like, I think that was, I think that kind of like subconsciously hurt the show for some people just because it was kind of like not what they expected. I mean, it was kind of like our thing with Obi-Wan and Anakin and, and Kenobi where it's like, oh, yeah. they, they, they went and marketed Hayden Christensen all around and he was in the show for literally like four minutes. So you know, I, I think it's something like that, like a subconscious thing where it's like, all right, they said the whole spy thing so much, and then we barely get it. So it's like, what did we really get? So, like, I think that's where part of it also was failed in the marketing. But, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, overall, like, the show was, was solid. It was, um, wasn't the best, wasn't the worst. It was just a solid, solid show. And for that, I would probably have to give it. I'd probably have to give it an eight out of ten. An eight? I'm actually very surprised. I thought you were going to give it like a seven. I was, I was, well, I was. I first came into this whole talk. <laughs> See, hey, hey, there we go. We we improved my score some. I came oh, into this I whole did talk, my job. I, don't, I, I, don't I won bet over everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me being one of the meanest no, critics of the show. To, I'm but, not trying to ever cover uh, somebody's opinion. I'm just speaking what I think <laughs> is on my mind. That's all. Yeah, yeah. No, I, uh, I, I went in this. I had it wrote down in my notes. I was going to give it probably a seven point five, and then I was like, well, I, I like the color palette and different things and different um, little aspects that we discussed throughout this. So, yeah, I'd say like an 8, 7.9, 8, like about it, about an 8, I would say. I'll, right. I'll be nice. I'll say an 8. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, that's the thing. What, what this series is, I haven't seen anybody straight up hate this series. 
like some other series out there, it's either people are like lukewarm on it or people freaking love it. That's what I feel like the consensus yeah. is. Is like it's it's definitely ranking up either in like the middle area or like the best thing that Star Wars has done um, in years. Yeah. Um, so yeah, tell us what your thoughts are on Andor season one. We'd love to hear them. Again, you can either email us at outerroomtransmission at gmail.com. You can send a comment down in the comment section down below on this video or tweet at us. Real Ben Maynard, Star Raptor, Outer Rim Transmission. Tag us and let us know your thoughts. So speaking of series, we aren't done talking Star Wars tonight, everybody. We're loading the back half of this episode with some pretty big news stories, starting off with just yesterday, hot off the press, out of a Comic-Con out there in Brazil. We got the announcement of Mandalorian Season 3 for March 1st, 2023. Now, I know a lot of you are probably thinking, hey, I was in the... You know, the, the, the Anaheim Convention Center when they said February. Well, it's a couple weeks later, everybody. I think I think we'll be okay. It's not two months later, right? We're getting this March 1st, 2023. So what are your thoughts on that, Ben? What's your initial reaction? What can you glean from this? Is there anything we should know about March 1st? Or is this just going according to plan? I mean, if you just look, the first thing I did actually when they posted that was look at the calendar it's about eight weeks until celebration after that. So, you know, just keep that in mind. I think oh. that's like an interesting thing because it's like, are they going to do an eight-episode season and then go to celebration and boom, announce, I don't know, show a trailer. I don't know, what if what if right after celebration is the launch of Ahsoka or something, you know? I think I think that's the thing with me where it's like, this show lines up perfectly with celebration unless the finale what if the what if the mando finale is at celebration like you guys get to watch it first like like they did with kenobi like i could you know maybe that happens wait um, a minute. yeah like add it up it's, no. it's literally isn't it <laughs> so celebration technically starts on april uh what is it april 6th or 7th so, oh dang! I was thinking it was the the end of April. No, Oops. it's the beginning. Never mind. So, so that's what I was saying to my buddies. Oh, I was man. like, "Oh man, you know we're gonna have, uh, even celebration. I mean, come mm. on, just have a viewing party of of Mando." Interesting. Well, actually, no. Celebration will be starting on Friday and ending on Monday. So there's gonna be like no celebration mm -hmm. happening technically on the day it comes out. But anyway, like. Yeah, yeah, anyway, then, well, to, all right, so throw yeah. that throw that completely out the window, because Mando's not going to be only four episodes, um, but, uh, yeah, no, a anyhow, I, uh, I don't know why I was thinking, like, April 29th, I guess that was a years ago, a couple years ago or something, but, yeah, uh, yeah, see, that, that's what I was thinking of, but, anyways, my thing with it is, it's just the whole, like, the beast that the Mandalorian is coming back. You know, we, we've talked about it. Uh, I mean, I just talked about it, how, you know, it's such a big, big, widespread show. I mean, look, boom, as soon as they announced Mando, all you saw in the trending section on social media, it was Mando, Grogu, March 1st, mm -hmm. like, you know, those type of things, because it's that big of a beast. Like, you know, it's on, like, the Game of Thrones level of hype. Like, oh, when, people see the when people see the Mandalorian, you know, they're, like, amped up about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, March so it's first, just... they gave us an image. It's not anything that I can really take from it. 
It's just a really zoomed in image of Din's helmet and, and Grogu there. Grogu looking exactly the same. Nothing. He's not in Mandalorian armor. Don't worry, everybody. Uh, so no. yeah, take a look. It's a cute, cute picture nonetheless. But yeah, I mean, if you look at the other landscape of Lucasfilm, right, we have uh, Bad Batch starting up on January 4th. So we're going to get a couple weeks worth of Bad Batch episodes out uh, before that. Well, actually... So, I mean, hmm, you know, we're going to get two episodes of Bad Batch out on January 4th. And then it'll be, you know, we'll get to like six episodes in or something before Mando comes out. So that's going to be a very interesting time. So I'm going to have to figure out a way to watch Mando and Bad Batch for two weeks straight in Europe. But, I, you know, I guess Disney Plus works over there. If I log in on the tablet or, or something, I will find a way to watch these things. That's all I'm, I'm thinking about is, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be in other countries at this point. Yeah. I'm I mean, hey, be there in, you go. I'm like, going to be in Amsterdam like be... watching Mandalorian. It's going to be crazy. Oh, I know. <laughs> well, I mean, that's like me when I was... Uh... You know, with all the different talks like Mando season three, it's like it's like man, and then you hear all these different things about like different footage and stuff. It's like man, I I just can't wait to see the next trailer whenever that is. I mean, it's it's if I had to guess, you know, we'll, it'll probably be Christmas. That's what I've been I would hearing. say around. I've been hearing yep. rumblings about Christmas Day. It's gonna be we're gonna open up to a fantastic yep. present of some really well, cool Christmas images. Day. Cr- Christmas Day, if you didn't realize, either is on a Sunday. So, you know, they know a lot of people will be home on the weekend. Yeah. So I think um, I think that's going to be accurate, that, that report that was out there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just like, hey, Mando, Mando is back. And, you know, that's going to be, like, the biggest thing in the world for, like, eight straight weeks, basically. And then probably the weeks leading up to it as well, like the hype around the show. Because, you know, that's... Like, Mando, I feel like, is on par level of hype of, like, you know, when we were leading into, like, episode 9 or, you know, like, leading into the actual theatrical movies. Like, Mando, like, brings that much PR to Star Wars. So it's just, like, you know, we have that. Um, one thing now, it does make me a little nervous, though, now that we've, we've talked about the dates. It makes me wonder if, if they, like, don't show, like, an Ahsoka trailer at Celebration or something. You know what I mean? Since uh, it's, like, halfway be, through Mando's yeah. season. It might be um, It might be giving out um, spoilers if they show that for, like, the rest of season two. Of oh, yeah. Three. Well, that may, then maybe it'll, it'll, I mean, maybe they just get some Skeleton Crew stuff then. I, I don't know. Or, you know, we'll get into, like, the Daisy stuff. But, uh, you know, there's there's plenty of different options they have. I think... The biggest takeaway I think with this is just like, like Mando's finally back. It feels like it's been forever since we reviewed the Mando season two finale. Oh my like, gosh, when was that? Even uh, two I, years ago, almost at this point. I think I think it was about two years ago because I mean we were doing the podcast then. So yeah, it was it, it was in twenty twenty, wasn't it? Because it was a one two shot, wasn't it? Like twenty nineteen, the show came out for the first season, and then they were like, October, it's coming out now. Yeah, for yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. It was it was 2019, and then it was 2020. Yeah, that's insane. Oh, well, granted, a lot of the resources and, and and the creative work went into Book of Boba Fett, which is almost like a pseudo sequel. So yeah, like 2.5. And at least we got to see Din Djarin a year later, right? It's not like we've gone completely without seeing him. It's kind of a nice thing they threw them in there because it does kind of whet our appetite a little bit more. 
Yep. But something that I can't wait for, and that is Jedi Survivor. So we had our first, or our only, our cover reveal and our synopsis for uh, Jedi Survivor. This is coming out, um, I'm going to pull up the details now, pretty soon. This is coming out in March. Jedi Survivor is coming out in March. We're expecting a, um, a big reveal of this game coming out next week at the Jeff Keighley Game Awards. But this is the... The, the cover here, this this book is going to be out. Uh, I'm looking for an exact release date here. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like the first week of March. That's all I'll say about that until I can find out a specific date. But I'll read the synopsis. Uh, so Cal Kestis has come a long way since Order 66 first forced him into hiding. After reclaiming his connections to the Force, the former Jedi of Hadawan went on a journey in Jedi Fallen Order that ultimately led to meeting the newfound family among the Stinger Mantis crew. Now, oh, actually, this is not the synopsis. Oh, I'm butchering this. Okay, this is actually the synopsis. Cal Kestis has built a new life for himself with the crew of the Stinger Mantis. Together, Cal's crew has brought down bounty hunters, defeated Inquisitors, and even invaded or evaded Darth Vader himself. More importantly, Marin Sare. Grease and faithful droid BD-1 are the closest thing Cal has had to a family since the fall of the Jedi Order. Even as the galaxy's future grows more uncertain by the day, with each blow struck against the Empire, the Mantis crew grows more daring. On what should be a routine mission, they meet a stormtrooper determined to chart her own course with the help of Cal and his crew. In exchange for help starting a new life, the Imperial Deserter brings a world of powerful... Uh, word of a powerful, potentially invaluable tool for their fight against the Empire. And even better, she can help them get to it. The only catch, pursuing it, will bring them into the path of one of the Empire's most dangerous servants, the Inquisitor known as the Fifth Brother. Can the Imperial Deserter be truly t- trusted? And while Cal and his friends have survived run-ins with the Inquisitors before, how many times can they evade the Empire before their luck runs out? So there you go. What was your first reaction to that, Ben? I mean, my first reaction when I saw this stuff, I knew you'd be really excited. I mean, that that was uh, honestly my first reaction. I was like, I know Chris is going to be super hyped about this because um, yep. I know how much you love the Fallen Order franchise. For me, I'm. I mean, it's really good. Like, it sounds interesting. It sounds like it'll be a good bridge between the game and uh, the other game or the uh, or the sequel, I guess I yep. would say. Mm-hmm. And then. Um, you know, I think it sounds like it's going to be a good in-between thing because, you know, sometimes when they create stuff like this, it's like, will it at least sound like it fits, you know? Like, because yeah. sometimes they, you know, you'll create things like this and they'll be like, does this work or not? I mean, <laughs> you know, like people point to like different things we talked about before with Tales of the Jedi with like Ahsoka and like the book and all that stuff. Like, will it, will it? smoothly transition between one medium to the next mm-hmm. and it sounds like they at least know the his character well enough to do that and then you, you know it kind of reminds me of something like uh what's the rogue one prequel book like you know it sounds like catalyst. a uh, catalyst by james like Lucino. a catalyst same thing oh yep. that's a good point i didn't even think about that because that book was damn near almost uh mandatory reading material going to that movie because it worked so well it fits so well together like they must have been talking to you know the the gareth edwards and tony gilroy when they were making when james was making that book or something because so far that's that's one of those that's still probably like the top 10 
Star Wars canon novel. Like that that's up there. Oh, yeah. But yeah, it's really cool getting this. We we got a miniseries comic that predates Jedi Fallen Order and it's about Sarah Junda as a Padawan and, and her master and they're going around the galaxy looking for different things. So that was cool. But that came out like I think after the game came out. But this is a neat way to get our appetite uh, quenched a little bit before this big game, which I, I'm expecting the release date to be announced next week. I mean, you've seen the Twitter and the Facebooks uh, updated their their headers for EA games, Star Wars games, with like the Fallen Order stuff earlier today. So, you know, they're getting ready for a media blitz pretty soon here. We've seen yep. uh, YouTube videos of people get, getting the new action figures already. Well, I've seen here's the battle thing. droids and KX droids and, and the Jedi Survivor logo on the box. Like, holy crap, they're getting ready. Yeah, well, is there... Um, I know... I mean, I don't remember from the first game. What's the pre-order window for it? Has that... Because will they make that Christmas for the pre-order? Uh, what, what do you mean? Yeah. Like, like, can you pre-order the game already? Oh, because I'm saying, with them, change, with them changing their header, with them maybe announcing the date, will they boom say pre-order starting December 25th? Oh yeah, I, you, you know, know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I bet you, I bet you at the game awards they'll they'll give the release day, and then Steam will be updated, and they'll be like, oh, you download the digital deluxe edition for 80 bucks, and you get like this cool behind-the-scenes yep. documentary and these cool skins for Cal. Yeah, you know that stuff is gonna happen. Yeah. And it'll probably be happening next week, which would yeah be in time for Christmas if people want to use their yep. their gift cards toward that. They could go ahead and and yep. do that. But I want to take a look at the cover because I'm not a big fan of the cover. I'll be up front. Um, the cover for those <laughs> of you that are not watching us, I'll describe it to the best of my abilities. So it's got a cool color palette. I'll give it that. It's got a really nice green with Marin there, uh, using the the dark magic of the Night Sisters, and you got Cal Kessis front and center with the blue blade of his reconstructed lightsaber um and then there's sarah Junda, you got grease and then in the upper left hand corner you got all the red background of i think they are i was gonna say dark troop or death troopers but they might actually be like the purge troopers 2.0 you got the fifth brother you got singer mantis you got some tie fighters now there's there's two elements on here that are rubbing me a little bit of the wrong way first off well, they don't oh, go ahead just to throw out there before you uh tell who it's about before you pointed it out to me i thought something looked off with the cover myself and i and and the funny thing is i was like i don't know what's missing on this cover like i feel like i, I don't know i just felt like the cover like you said it looks fine but to me it felt like something was missing and i'll let you continue yeah, our faithful, loving companion droid BD-1 is not anywhere to be found. It's like, wait, what? It's not like he got yeah. killed off in the first game. It's not like we'd even see him in the uh, teaser trailer was released at Anaheim. He's nowhere to be found. So that that rubbed me the wrong way. It's like, that guy is the arguably the most uh, recognizable thing from the first game. I mean, I know firsthand <laughs> um, from a short little uh, survey, if you will, because walking around in my costume, most of the time people point out, oh, the droid, can I see the droid? Like, they don't care about me as Cal. They're looking, oh, that droid is really cool. He's from the game, right? I'm like, yep. So 
that is like their poster child that they don't have on the game. They they sold a Lego life size kit of BD one like recently last couple months. I that thing looks really cool. I constantly see people building that on Twitter, showing off images of that. So I just found it really peculiar how. Like, who signed off on this, man? Like, that's your poster child. Is that on the book cover? What? Yeah, I know. Like, I... Like I said, I, I kept looking at that picture when you when you sent it in our chat. And, I, and before you wrote in about about BD1 being missing, like, I was looking at it, I was like, man, what's missing from this picture? Like, like I said, it felt like something was missing. And then when you said BD1, I was like, oh, dang, he's not in the picture. I, I guess I just... I don't know, like, in my... In my subconscious, I, I I just automatically placed him in the picture, and he wasn't there. Um, and then it was just like, oh, I guess he's not there. Okay. I mean, that's that's literally like, like you said, arguably, he's the most recognizable character from that game. Uh, that'd be like not having Grogu on a Mando thing. Like, it's like, wait, yeah, what? yeah, yeah, like, basically, you're... yeah, exactly. And then yeah, another I, thing, I got. It. Yeah, another thing I got pointed out to me from uh, Dan Grievous. That uh, you can look up his YouTube channel. It's really cool compilations of like different like music videos with clone wars characters it's really really creative um but he pointed out like the fifth troopers design is really awkward and clunky in this because you got the photorealistic renditions of cal and night sister marin and and uh sarah and all that but then you have like the rebels stylized version of of the fifth brother and it's like after coming off of obi-wan it's like it is a little bit striking like it's a creative choice. I mean, obviously, this thing was created after... It must have been created before they, they knew what he looked like. Um, but it's interesting there. I'm just like, oh, that's not the best crossover <laughs> happening. Especially since because the guy looks so angular. Like, I know I'm really nitpicking the hell out of this book cover, and it's, like, going to not mean anything in the long run, but eh, it's just something I wanted to point out. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it, it definitely... I mean, hey... Like, when, when we're not, like, um, just pinpointing that out, it is good, like, seeing... I, I did see a lot of people talking about that cover, though. Like, I, I saw that floated around social media a lot. So it's good, like, the game's, like, out there, you know? Like, people are talking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, like I said, this upcoming week, uh, I'm sure we're going to hear even more about even more about the game um maybe we'll see some stuff i'm hoping next week we'll have a nice good old trailer breakdown for all of you people to to enjoy so i think we might be having a guest joining us right now right ben maybe possibly let me maybe try someone from the someone from the force <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying to bring him in i guess he's not on his computer yet um, oh yeah you're good but um yeah well, i'll continue about the game or the uh the uh Speaking of Star Wars gaming, for anybody, uh, I saw you having a little discussion back and forth with people on Twitter, Chris. What date was Star Wars Lego, the Skywalker Saga, coming to Game Pass on Xbox? Oh, yeah, that yeah, that, that's a good point. Um, December 6th. Yeah, next week they yeah. uh, popped that up on the Xbox uh, Wire. Yeah, it's coming to Game Pass. So if you guys are Xbox gamers and you play a decent amount of video games... You might want to check out Game Pass because it's the best deal in gaming. And I know I sound like a damn infomercial. And the, the PlayStation fanboys are going to come at me hard and say, this guy's an Xbox fanboy. Get up. It's okay. It's just, it's just I can't lie. It's great to have. And um, so, well, yeah, it's going to be included with Game Pass. So anybody uh, looking for a cool game to play with their kids or their friends, 
um, that has some extended time off this holiday, well, Xbox is there for you, man. They're going to give you one of the best games of 2022. Honestly, it is like one of the best games I've played this year. And I've played quite a few. Yeah. So, okay, I think somebody's jumping in. Oh, who's that? What's up, villain? (laughs) Going on, fellas. Sorry I'm late. It's all good. Um, glad you can make it better late than came, never. You came in just at the tail end of our Andor discussion. So um, while the mic is hot, I'm going to throw it to you, man. Just uh, give us like uh, up to five minutes if you want. Just like your thoughts on Andor and just, you know, just characters, about season all that, one, so. all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, look, when it comes to, you know, the overall, I'll start this way. The, the setting and production value of this show was like was really really good it was one of the best productions of a star wars live action show that, that i know i mean besides mandalorian um but from all the ones that we've gotten thus far this is probably second hell might be even one when it comes to a lot of elements because they did shoot on location a lot yeah um so production value was was legit it felt like it was a movie budget character wise all the characters actually was very enjoyable there wasn't really one bad character except for was it Civ- how do you say his name? Cyril. Cyril. Yeah, that's how bad I don't like that character. <laughs> um, but like, but all the other characters were dope. It was great character development in the sense of, you know, Andor where he was to where he is now, and obviously how that's going to lead to Rogue One eventually. I love that particular arc of him. I love Luthen. Luthen Rail was one of these characters that I didn't think I would actually enjoy right away, just because he was, you know, sketchy at first. But his his character makes a lot of sense in what they're trying to do. Um, Idra and, and, and what her development is, I'm looking forward to her in season two. I'm curious to see where they're going to take her. Um, as for everyone else, I thought the character development was great. It, it was great to see that this show wasn't afraid to take risk. Now, we hear that phrase a lot in a lot of shows about taking risk. You know, that's the best way to expand a property or, or an IP. This is what The Last Jedi didn't do. You know, like Andor, Andor took risks that were necessary for the story and to push it forward, and it made sense. Like that—that's why that risk worked. You know, um, so overall, with this particular uh, show, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I think it was one of the better Star Wars shows. The first three episodes for me were, like I said, off. Then, as the show was progressing and seeing where they were taking it, I was really liking this. So I'm looking forward to season two. Yes, was was the finale okay? Yeah, it was okay. I think it did its job. I think season two will pay that off because then it will lead into the movie. Overall, I really liked this show. I, I thought it was well done. Tony Gilroy clearly has a good understanding of what Star Wars is and how to expand it. And really, he's not a fan, but that's okay because he he was very objective in coming into this this property to say, hey, let's do this right. Let's tell the best story we can about this particular character. And in a very important time of the Star Wars lore. So, yeah, I thoroughly love I thoroughly love the show. And I, I can say this show is probably very much rewatchable. Oh, OK. Like, so we had this little bit of a discussion um, earlier about how Penn was like the first couple episodes for him wouldn't be all that rewatchable. Now, would you agree? Yes. Yeah. Like, like for me, I agree. For, 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 for me, for me, basically, Milton, when it comes to it, I think from episode about six forward, yes. it's all pretty good, pretty good rewatchable. For me, like, obviously, for the story, you want to watch the whole episode one through 12. But for me, 
the first four or five episodes are almost throwaway where I'll probably never rewatch them until like Andor season two, just to like rewatch the whole show. But, but you know, you know, episode six on to me is super rewatchable. Like, you know, you could go and turn on an episode and, and get something out of it versus like, there's nothing in really episodes one through five where it's like, I need to go and rewatch that or I need to just turn it on as background noise. Cause like, even with like book of Boba, we have our complaints about it or even Kenobi with some of the issues. Um, Mando, there's really no issues, but like even on those other two shows, like they have episodes in them where you can just throw them on and rewatch and, and, or, you know, there, there are some episodes, at least like episode six on, you can throw on those episodes and have them on in the background. Um, Especially, like, the prison episode, I feel like, is a good one. Like, you know, there's definitely good elements to it where it's, like, there's rewatchability, I think, in the second half of the season. Yes. I, I, I agree with that assessment. I think, like I said, the first three episodes for me were very, eh. You know, episode three mm-hmm. was solid. I think episode four was okay after the lead off of that. Five was decent. Six actually wasn't bad. I think because it was so choppy. Yes, I would agree yep. with that. But obviously, I think if I if I had to now, because I have all 12, if I just watched it in like a three-day span yep. of like each arc, I think it might make sense. It might flow better because mm-hmm. we're not taking breaks. So I agree with that, Ben. And I think when season two gets here, when you go back to rewatch one, I think, okay, we now have that understanding of what one was trying to do. So it's just like right now, well, I'm re-watching, like I'm rewatching Arrow and Flash right now. Oh. And Arrow season Excellent. four... Arrow season four has always been a weird drag, but because we have all 22, <laughs> it's a better flow when you have all 22. Mm, you know how yep. the story is going. So I'm like, okay, it's it's watchable again once you get all the episodes. But at the time of its live airing, no, it was very just flooded, like cluster or uh, it was choppy. Well, well, Milton, I think with that, um, not to like rehash our mine and Chris's entire discussion, but I think. <laughs> One of the, I think, I think one of the issues that came up that I, I almost discovered when we were when we were discussing um, the show was I think subconsciously whether it be us three or even a lot of the collective audience that may have had different things with this show, it falls again to me like I, I'm I'm always the one pointing all the arrows at Lucasfilm's marketing department because I feel like they deserve it because. To me, they marketed this as a spy action thriller. How many times did you hear that term? And we barely got that in this show. Like, we didn't get any of that really from Andor for the most part. And it was mainly from Luthen. And I think I think that was the subconscious, like, issue with the show. That this show is basically a prequel. And now we're going to get the spy action thriller in season two. I think that's kind of like what we discovered in our discussion. Where it's like, yeah, maybe they shouldn't have been using that terminology to describe this show leading up to it. Yeah. Well, I mean, cause, yeah, because Rogue One was very much a spy thriller movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I, I see what you're saying with that, and, and that makes sense. I think a lot of shows make that mistake, you know, which yep. is unfortunate. Mm. I mean, hell, Star Wars... Expectations. Exactly. And Star Wars been doing that since they took over, or then Disney took over, because they said about Phasma in this, you know, great character, and all of a sudden she was nothing. New Bubba Fett. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, you can't... You can't <laughs> Like Star Wars fans are fickle, so if you tell us something and it doesn't live up to standard, or you don't give us what you're saying you're going to give us, we're going to challenge that. We're going to call you out on it. So yeah, I mm-hmm. get it. Like that's on them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what do you guys? And I'll leave this last question to all of us: is um, what do you guys think the lasting impact of 
of season one of Andor is going to have on like the Star Wars uh, chronological, chrono- you know, the timeline. Like, why is this story so special? Why I like the people like to throw this around. Why is this story important to Star Wars? Why did we get this story? What what is its lasting impact going to have? I I I think it expanded the universe. It, okay. it expanded the property. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like listen. Did we really need to have Rogue One? No, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't need to get that. Mm-hmm. But but John Knoll, who decided to say, "Hey, let's look at that first sentence of mm-hmm. A New Hope." What happened? How how did that movie start? You know what I'm saying? So like that one sentence launched another inner universe within Star Wars. You know, we the, need the to have a new hope. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. The, the, the mm-hmm. rebellion just won their first big battle. However, it goes. But what did that look like? And and yes, it makes sense. At that story need to be told now now looking back on it because like the rebellion didn't just come out of nowhere how did this get started why were people rebelling was the empire really that bad and to see that people were seeing the cracks in the empire and saying hey this isn't as great as we thought it would be we people thought the the the, the mm-hmm. galactic public was bad or was corrupt Oh, the Empire is worse when it comes to just, mm. you know, just how they clamped down everything. They took away individuality. They took away color. They took away just support and love. I mean, you could see the difference from Revenge of the Sith to A New Hope, how there's no color in the galaxy. Oh, there's yeah. no, there's no differences. There's no, there's no, there's really no inclusion, you know, to use a, a, a current term when it comes to humans, race culture uh anything you can think of so i think this story in particular of andor and even i'll tie in rogue one with it expanded star wars and it gave us new characters that we now love andor is now a beloved character i believe mm-hmm. i think i think i think i think, think jen urso is a, a beloved character i think Saul guerrero i wouldn't say is beloved but <laughs> he's respected and people really know of him now compared to where he was in clone wars you know what I'm saying? So like, Luthen. Yeah. This, will... Hey, hey, hey. I mean, this show, this show. Don't get me wrong. I've I've been the resident Saul Guerrero hater from Rogue One. I can say that this show made me like him more. I I definitely like his character mm-hmm. a lot better. This show. So I mean, this show. Hey, did something positive. Absolutely, <laughs> and, and that's what I'm saying. Like, like you know, again, you've always been that guy, Ben, about him, and yeah, the show kind of. It, it's just like Tales of the Jedi with mm-hmm. Dooku. People always thought Dooku was a villain, just a hardcore villain. Mm-hmm. That show has made Dooku, I wouldn't say beloved, but understood. And say, hey, maybe he was right. You know what I'm saying? Like, maybe he had a point to do what he needed to do to try to save, you yeah. know, the, the, the Republic or whatever. So it's like, okay. That, that's, that's good to challenge our viewpoint as just Star Wars fans and as just movie watchers. Like, we can't just get stuck in what these characters were. There had to be something before that made them what they are now mm-hmm. when we first mm-hmm. met them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the great points, great points for me. It's just um, in and in and out of universe uh, point on this whole thing is just like in universe, we know we're getting into this the beginning of the rebellion. We're seeing how the seeds are sown in the fabric of a culture and seeing how the culture is able to rise up. And it's just one of those stories about enough is enough. And like Marva's speech about we've been sleeping, we've been sleeping, like it's time to wake up. Like that whole sequence just basically encapsulates everything, even with the prison, about the people rising up over the oppressors and 
it all that adds to that. But as far as like an out of out of universe, why is this important to Star Wars? Because this is the first time where, as uh, Milton, I think you put it out like this is Star Wars taking a risk, taking a chance, and it and paying off especially well with uh, not dealing with blasters firing every single episode, but using dialogue as kinetic forces to get people engaged. I mean, we keep talking about how we would all sit up in our seats with the Imperial stuff. I mean, at a glance, it's like, oh, that's boring. It's just a bunch of people in white uniforms that are part of a dictatorship just talking about, you know. But no, like the, the, the um, context of these conversations are so fascinating to see these guys conniving against one another. So I like the change in direction of storytelling that Lucasfilm was able to, I, I believe, able to successfully give us a different tone of a Star Wars live action um, piece of, of media where it's not the hero's journey in the way that we see like Din is with the Mandalorian. It's a lot more with the grounded reality of not dealing with the force, not dealing with lightsabers. And for me, it actually worked out pretty well for that. So I got to give them praise for taking out one of the touchstones that is Star Wars and somehow succeeding in doing that. One thing um, we do need to mention before we go to the next topic, Milton, um, your final score, though, you hadn't mentioned it. Uh, for the series as a whole, mm. <laughs> yep. I want to say... Oh, man, this is tough. Because I, I, I feel like it's going to be probably around like a 7.5 or an 8. I gave it an 8. I, I, here's the funny thing. I, I started at 7.5 and Chris talked me up to 8. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be 8. Well, here's the thing, though. I think it's going to be an 8 just because, you know, 7.5 rounds up to an 8. One. Uh, hey, but there two, you go. Like, yeah. But two, like, I think as the show went on, it got better and better and better. Mm-hmm. And my scores, I it's pretty. You can probably go back and look. I think my scores are gradually going up. Mm-hmm. Eventually, staying consistent, except for that last one, kind of probably slightly dipped, but it wasn't bad. So I, I would say an eight's fair. If if I, I say an eight, maybe a low, a low or like a mid seven point five, but probably an eight. All right. So final score with the outer rim transmission crew, we got two eights and a nine. So I'd say that's a pretty positive score for. Oh. Yeah, it, it definitely wasn't Book of Boba Fett bad. Say it right now. <laughs> yeah. oh, I, I, I know Chris was probably thinking I was going to bomb it with like a five. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't. It, it, it wasn't bad batch throwaway episodes. <laughs> you know, yep. like I think I, I think an eight's fair. I, I think a nine's fair. I mean, if someone wants to give it a ten, I can see people giving it a ten. Yeah. That I think is not deserving of a perfect score. I think there were some flaws. I, I think an 8, 8.5, 9 is fair. I say 7.5 to, to 9 is fair just because there are things that probably were not executed the best. However, this was a different type of Star Wars show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so for those of you that are unaware, we're going to be waiting a while for the next the next season of Andor as we knew that the first season was in production for about two years. So we're going to be revisiting this back uh, forward in 2024, probably. So stay tuned for that long haul. But there's plenty of Star Wars coming down the pipeline. We were talking about Milton about the Mandalorian season three getting a premiere date of March 1st. So we're excited to finally have something to pin on the calendar. But something else that's not concrete, but that is very interesting is 
Um, I'll throw this one to, to throw our way. Uh, ben, you have a better handle on Instagram and how it all works than I do. Probably Milton does yeah. more than me. But so, you want to talk about this thing that happened last night? Yeah, all right. So I'm not sure. I know me and Chris were, like, blowing up our group chat, so I'm not sure how much of it <laughs> Milton caught. Um, but uh, so Daisy Ridley went and posted yesterday onto her story a picture of the Yoda from inside Lucasfilm's offices, like on her story, like a new, and it was a new photo too, mind you, a new photo um, on her story of that. And this is my thing. They let, again, like there's a lot of bullet points here that are like, huh, interesting, interesting, interesting. For starters, this happens a week after Andor. We're getting all this other Star Wars content. Obviously yesterday we had all of this other Star Wars news like Mando and uh, the games and all this stuff. And then you Daisy Ridley goes and posts that. And then she she lets that, because, you know, Chris ended up sending in our group chat. She let that sit all night. She let that sit on her story all night for literally like 12 hours. And then she posted this morning or whatever and was like, oh, nothing saucy happening here. But it's so, um, it's, it, you know, I'm feeling so, and she just put one oh, she put so nostalgic right now and then she posted a ton of star wars photos and it's like wait why did you post one thing from inside lucasfilm's offices and then you let it sit for so long and then it's like oh then you're it's like what are you like badly covering covering it up or whatever so it's just i don't know it was weird behavior for starters like it's like weird posting habits and especially considering if you look on her instagram before that, she hadn't posted since, like, November, I think, 1st or 2nd in, in almost a month. So it's like, mm -hmm. for starters, she hasn't posted. And to me, it's like, what, did she fly out there to Lucasfilm to have a discussion? Because the thing is, they, for you know, um, I, I heard other people talking about it, too. They wouldn't just obviously go and make an announcement about Daisy being back without her being under contract. Was this just the initial meeting like we got in 20, whatever, 14 or 15, where you heard about like Mark Hamill meeting with Carrie Fisher and, you know, them talking about getting the gang back together. Is this the initial meeting potentially of Daisy at the Lucasfilm offices? And also another bullet point to throw in with all of this speculation is you know again okay take it with a grain of salt because we've seen kathy and everybody at lucasfilm being consistent but kathy literally did just say um a month or two ago in that interview you know they have projects they're looking forward to past episode nine mm -hmm. and then on top of all of this stuff you know whether it be a series or a movie my, my thing is i feel like it, it's probably trending toward a movie if anything because then you have Bob Iger coming back into the fold. And what's his mm. big thing? Movies. So it's just like, uh. I feel like a lot's adding up. And then, heck, I mean, I feel like we talked, I think we talked about it three or four weeks ago on the show, guys, when Hollywood Reporter reported or Deadline reported they're wanting Star Wars to come out with concrete plans and stop announcing movies until they have them concrete. So to me, I feel like a lot of this stuff is just swirling. And then you, boom, you have Daisy Ridley go and post this on her story after, you know, not being a frequent Instagram user over the past month. So it's like, what is going on there? I mean, I feel like if anything, in, in like, in the summer, hey, I feel like if anything, you know, we're not going to get any announcement anytime soon. Like, this is the earliest 
maybe this is like day one of a potential her return and maybe they were just having their conversations or potential contract talks or something and whether it be this celebration or it might be celebration 2024 i think we're gonna get the daisy ridley's coming back announcement well guess where daisy ridley happens to live and where this next celebration is going to be. It's going to be in England. She's going to walk outside her door and walk to the Excel Center and walk on stage. And here we go. The continuation of Ray's journey in 2025. Here we go, everybody. So that's, so that's something to keep in mind as well. So it's like, yeah, those are just kind of all the like newsworthy or the um, noteworthy points about this Daisy Ridley stuff. Like what's your assessment of it, Milton, now that you've kind of heard the overview I mean, look, I, I agree with everything you're saying about Lucasfilm and their lack of marketing or their their screw up <laughs> of marketing or their unwillingness yep. to have a plan. And then they announce all this stuff and it's never like concrete. So I agree with all that. Mm-hmm. AZ Ridley, because I did see that in the chat. I think it was last night. You put, Was it last night you put that in there? It was, it was? Uh, Wednesday night into yeah. Wednesday night into Thursday. Yes. And so I took it as she's just there, just visiting. Maybe she had a meeting or two. Maybe she had a meeting, just whatever, talking. And then she saw the Yoda statue, posted it. Then I was seeing other people talk about it. I'm thinking, okay, are they planning on bringing Ray back? She was a beloved character by younger fans, for what we remember. I could see them wanting to focus the next trilogy on her as the only Skywalker alive. So if they bring her back, too. Yeah, Iger being back, I know he loved her. Kathleen's supposed to be on the outs for what we've been reading. I can see them bringing her back. I hope that if they bring her back, please, 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 please have a consistent story of a trilogy. Do not hire four or five <laughs> different writers, four or five different directors, and have it be choppy. Because that's what happened with mm-hmm. the sequel trilogy. Like I feel like the sequel trilogy it's just tainted because like the story is so different in a sense of like, it's not consistent. So mm-hmm. if you want to rebuild, if you want to focus star Wars on the Skywalker still, you need to tell a bomb ass sequel trilogy with Ray and expand that then with the, whether it's with the Skywalkers or with her as the lead Skywalker. And maybe she find maybe she gets her, her marriage aid uh, character, you know, male, male version yeah. or hell. If she likes girls, so be it. Like maybe yeah. they'll start doing like some Mary J type stuff with their their love interest, or maybe they'll bring in you know the Yuzhong Vong and just mm. something. But they need well, here's the thing: a, they need to tell a consistent okay. story that's strong. It makes sense, and it wants it keeps the fans hooked. Because I'll be honest with you, literally after the Last Jedi, I was just uninterested in where these movies are going. The the primary yeah. episodes. Oh, 100%. I, I completely agree with you on that. Now, my thing is, what if you just go and have her coming back? I mean, how would you feel, Milton and Chris? How would you guys feel on this? What if you bring her back and they announce John Favreau's spearheading the trilogy? Like, I'm I feel cool. like they, 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 they need, they need yeah, to do something like it. that. They, <laughs> they need to because Favreau has film experience. They're, not, they're obviously, Filoni wouldn't handle something like that. It'd be Favreau. But, like, by the time, you know, if you think about something like this, whether it be this year, let's just all intents and purposes, let's just say they go crazy when Chris is at Celebration and just bring out Daisy and announce we're doing a new trilogy. 
I mean, we wouldn't get that for till at least 2025. By then, Mando season four will be done, most likely. It'll probably be airing in 2024, uh, maybe. So, like, the thing is, by the time that's done, maybe Favreau's moved on to his next big Star Wars project. Maybe it is that. Like, because, like you mentioned, with Daisy, if you're bringing her back, you have to have a good, consistent story. Mm-hmm. I mean... Heck, even if we get a, a limited just one-off series of on Disney Plus with yeah. eight episodes of her doing something post-episode nine, because my thing is, again, it's hard to trust Kathleen Kennedy because they've been so inconsistent. But she did say, like, you know, a few weeks ago, they're looking at star- stories post-episode nine. And then now we have this with Daisy, potentially. So it's just like, maybe they're just in the early talking stages because... You know, you have to have those early meetings before you do anything, and it's just—I I don't know—it's just—it's just a really interesting thing that popped up. And the funny thing is, like when I saw that, I literally was just scrolling through Instagram naturally. Like, wow. you know, I'm just scroll. I, I was just scrolling through Instagram stories, and you know, I saw like it was like Milton's story, and then like Daisy's story was next to his, and you know, I scrolled through Milton's hey. stuff, and then <laughs> da- then Daisy's, and and I I clicked through. You know, I was just, you know, when you're scrolling through stories, it's just quick. And I clicked through and I was like, wait, Daisy really posted a Yoda thing. Let me back up. And I, I went back to her page and looked at the story again. I was like, what the hell? And I sent it to you guys. And that's when I, that's literally when I sent it to you. I, I was sending it to you like live as I was reacting. Um, and it's just like, I don't know. To me, it's interesting because you know, she posted it and let it sit for like 10 hours, 11 hours before saying anything about it. So it's just (laughs) like, all right, there's maybe something there. Mm. And I mean, who knows guys, maybe we, we get to a point where it's, you know, if she comes back, it'll be the whole like, ha ha, look guys, I I tried to tease you way back in December Mm -hmm. or whatever, Mm -hmm. December of 2022. And it, it, it can be something like that. I mean, I mean, heck, we just saw it with Jason Momoa at beginning of November. It was like November 7th or 8th. He literally posted on his Instagram story and was like, for all you fans of this certain universe, this is mm. going to be, just so you know, this is like the greatest day of my life in terms of like any of these movies. Oh, yeah. And, you know, mark this day. So it's like, I, I wonder, I mean, maybe we, we have this with Daisy because, you know, if you think about it too, another thing to throw out there, um, is like, all right, we have Mando, we have Andor, we have maybe Boba Season 2, um, we have Skeleton Crew. What would be the introduction to the the theatrical? Like, what, what, would, what would bring the audiences back? Because at this point, they have to do something to bring the audiences back. Because, you know, they jacked things up with the sequel trilogy, and you have to... I mean, say what you want about it. I mean, you know, it, it did do some damage to the brand. It's like, to me, what what else will they have to do to bring the audiences back? Like, you have to announce, I feel like, something. It has to be big. Like, they can't just announce a Chewbacca spinoff movie or something. Like, it has oh. to be something massive. And, like, what's bigger than bringing back and continuing hmm. Ray's story? Because, like, for me... I don't know about that. Just to throw out there with the sequels, like... Like I had no issue with Daisy's acting. Like I think she was I think she was good in the sequels. It's just her usage, especially in episode eight, was like, whoa. 
like really off. So it's just, uh, I don't know, a lot of interesting things. Now, you know, Chris, me and Milton have done a lot of uh, breaking down on this. What are your thoughts on this topic? Well, first of all, I think if we're looking at any kind of timeline, they don't want to put anything out with the sequel trilogy until Mando's over. They don't want Mando to steal any thunder from if this is going to happen. So they're going to probably wait till at least 2027 or, or 27 or something like that because they yep. want to make sure the, the air is clear for that. Um, as far as your question with the movies, I think uh, the last thing they'll do is do another movie that's attached with her as the first movie to come back because it has such a sour taste oh, in the yeah, mouth of people true. that I, they, they are, they're going to want to start off in a complete opposite direction. That's where uh, David Linerloff and uh, the director that did uh, the Ms. Marvel series, I think they're going to do something either in a far flung future or something in, in the past because it's a Taika Waititi thing. The, the longer we go on, the more I feel like it's never going to happen at this point. So uh, that's definitely where they're going to be going first. So, yeah, I think that they're going to either... She's already said she doesn't want to do trilogies, Kathleen Kennedy. It's going to be... I would like yeah. it to be a Disney Plus series. Because, um, I mean, it's not over yet, but I've seen really positive praise. And I've seen the first two episodes of Willow. And it is literally a sequel to the, the 1988 film by George... You know, story by George Lucas. And... So they've proven, Lucasfilm's proven that, you know, they don't need a movie necessarily to continue the adventure of a canon story. Like, they yeah. could just straight up do eight episodes like Willow, you know, 45-minute episodes to continue it. Or Andor. Look, Andor is a direct prequel to Rogue One. Uh, Obi-Wan. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, Obi-Wan, a miniseries. They didn't make a movie. They just told a story about Obi-Wan, right? So they could... They already that's in their wheelhouse. And with the way Disney Plus is going, with the way of the movie industry where it's I don't know, lately we were talking about how I've been looking forward to more stuff that's on streaming and that isn't a theater anymore. And the large fact of that is with COVID and movie pipelines and all that kind of stuff with the getting people's butts and seats is a lot harder these days. And, and each day um, it's getting harder and harder with just the way the technology has progressed so much where you're getting cinematic stuff for a lot cheaper than it used to be on, on TV. So, yeah, that's my two cents. It's like, hey, I mean... If this is going to happen, it's not going to happen for a while. But then again, it's got to be yeah. very serious. It's got to be very serious because uh, you don't fly all the way from England all the way to San Francisco, which is like 12, at least 12 hours. Um, <laughs> if you're yeah. not going to if you're not going to be serious about this, they could have easily been like, nope, I'm not interested on the phone and be like, that's it. It could have been a Zoom call. Like, what, like why yeah. actually be there in person is my thing. Yeah. So it's just like. You know, they're, they're, they they got to be in some type of discussion. Again, I I don't know. I would doubt. I mean, then again, like you said, she is from England. So what if she, what if they close out celebration with her? Like, I don't know. They do something like cut the lights and have her walk out on stage and like, you know, have a big surprise. Like that would be, that'd be pretty epic. Um, and then just say coming 2026 or something or 2025 or a Disney plus original or, or something like I, I just think with her character, like you brought up a really good point too, Chris. Now that I think about it, the theatrical window, like, yeah, you can't really continue the sequels just yet because of the uh, imagery that it, or the tainted imagery that it's done. Um, so, you know, maybe the, they will just do like a, 
a Disney Plus thing. Because like you said, she, Kathy mentioned they don't want to do like trilogies and that sort of stuff. So, especially with Iger being back, I mean, just go the Marvel route and start just pumping out movies. Like, at least once a, once every year, once every couple years. Like, I, I just think either way, whether it be like Ray or whatever, they, they have to come back with something to get the audience back in, in theaters. Because to me, Star Wars still is a theatrical experience. Like, I think, you know, it's like an epic event thing. And it's just a matter of, like, what could that be? Or, like, heck, even take your your series idea. Like, give us a Ray series for, I don't know, make it two seasons and then go to episode 10 in 2028, exactly. you know? Yeah. Like, do something yeah. like that. Like, because like, I think, as well, I don't know about you guys, like, we'll obviously talk about Rise of Skywalker in the future when we get to that. I think with her burying the lightsabers in the sand, they're eventually going to use that story thread Someday, like they're they'll go back to that at some point. I think just because it's mm-hmm. like marketing the Skywalker sabers of Luke and Leia. Like I think they're gonna get back to that one way or another. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Uh, I w- I was trying to do a little bit of uh, Lucasfilm <laughs> talk tonight, but we got off on some really good discussions. So we're gonna have to kind of cut it here. Uh, for tonight, but but maybe in the future, Chris, maybe in the future we'll talk more about. <laughs> should we? Um, well, uh, Milton, real quick, have you? Uh, we'll do it. We'll do it. A couple couple minute reaction if you have. Right, have okay. you seen the Indiana Jones trailer? Yep, I watched it. Oh, cool. Okay, so you guys want to do a quick like five minute thing on that? All right, all right, sure. Yeah, yeah let's start I'll off. Yeah, with I was going to say. I mean. I mean, hey, I mean, it's Lucasfilm. It's it's uh, obviously our good old Han Solo, Han Solo back. Like, what, you know, what were you guys' impressions on Indiana Jones, the Dial of Destiny, yeah. and um, the implications for it? Milton? I like the trailer. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I look, I love the Indiana Jones series, and this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but I didn't mind Crystal Skulls. Like, pe- people... People hate Me on either. that one. Is looking back on that film is really not horrible. So I don't understand the super hate. Yes, was who was it? Shia LaBeouf, the son. Yep. Okay, spoilers. Whatever. But <laughs> overall, I I like the the trailer. I I like what they're trying to do, and you can tell this is their swan song to Indiana Jones. And may, I'm, eventually, you know, they're going to reboot that franchise. You know, 15 years from now with someone else. But it's nice to see Harrison Ford back. It's nice to see him in this different phase mm-hmm. of. India. This is pretty much. This was the Indiana Jones we saw. I think at, he came back and did a cameo in the young Indiana Jones series as like the old Henry really? Jones. Yep. I, I remember. I, yes, he came well, back. He, you know, you know, what I'm talking about Ben. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say he came. He came back as like an older one in the young Indiana Jones series. Yes. Like the full series is still out on YouTube for any of our listeners if you want to look at that. Also, so, a thing to throw out there too, Milton, with your point. Like uh, I read a little thing on where they it sounds like they got the inspiration it's from some biblical thing basically basically long story short time travels is what it sounds like oh. yeah so which is going to lead to my next point which i'm glad you brought that up so it was nice to see that this was an old indiana jones and his like you know swan song years and just teaching and just mm-hmm. you know whatever and then it was nice to see the de-aged oh Harrison my gosh Ford, which i, we talk which about I assume that. it was going to be some type of like after looking at the title i'm like oh either time travel or like some type of like he's seeing visions or something something mystical 
you know, so it's and that he looked good as young oh, Indian. Like oh, the yeah. aging yeah. tech looked good. So I am I am kind of hyped to see this film. I'm hoping it's good because I really like Harrison Ford and I love this franchise. I hope it goes off with a bang and that we can walk away and say, okay, we have a legit five-picture franchise mm-hmm. with the show. I might have to go back and revisit and just watch it and binge it again, you know? So I'm hoping this this movie pays off. I think it will. I think I think they I think Lucasfilm can't mess this up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as far as for me, um, my my um, my history with with the Indiana Jones franchise, I'm relatively new. I started watching these back in like 2000. 15 or something it's it's been very recent actually um so that's why the crystal skull didn't really i didn't really mind it because i didn't have the built-in love for the character at that point of indiana jones so i was like oh this is another fun fun adventure of his and you know it's not like i lived with the character for like 30 years and i'm grumpy about him dealing with like (laughs) ants and monkeys and jumping on vines and surviving nuclear blasts and refrigerators and all that crazy stuff but from my reaction to this actual, now you have the context of where I'm coming from, my reaction was very positive on this trailer. Um, I just love the different sets, the settings that they have in here. Just when you start hearing Harrison Ford's voice, it brought me back to the Force Awakens trailer, like Chewie were home, like that sort of feeling of, oh yeah, it's the old man, old man Harrison Ford, old man Indy. And yeah, the, the, the whole way that it actually looks it looks like it's filmed using cameras from the 80s. It's got that that lens to it or that that kind of filter where it feels like it's that movie from the 80s. Just the, It looks fantastic, and I was blown away by the de-aging, and it looks like we're going to get some some cool, like, uh, Nazi, uh, not, Nazi-like smashing action from Indiana Jones once again, which is always great. Um, never gets old, never gets old. So, yeah, I'm, I, you know... I was like, yeah, this is this is the stuff right here. This is what I exactly what I wanted to see, Ben. Oh yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Like th- when I saw this trailer, it was like, man, it, it feels like we're back in Indiana Jones again. It 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 just brought back all those fun feelings of the show of the um the movies. Excuse me, like you know, it, it just had that vibe. Like Harrison still has got it for him being almost eighty. He's seventy nine right now, so like him being almost eighty, it's crazy. But, um, but yeah, like, I just think it looks really good for, for the facts. For one, it looks like an Indiana Jones movie Mm -hmm. because that was my number one concern with this movie going into it was, is it going to feel like we won't, we've, we've done a lot of feel talk, whether it be with Andor and Star Wars, if it feels like Star Wars to me, this feels like Indiana Jones because I was concerned about it. Cause I mean, as we all know, Spielberg decided to drop out of the movie so it was like you know when you have spielberg's like magic basically like his style is so stylistic and you know it looks like they captured a similar style to that which is super nice and um and of course like the de-aging tech looks amazing the fact that it's potentially based off of like a uh, like a biblical type artifact i think is really good because to me as you both mentioned, you know, I think it's because we're we're younger, but I didn't really have that big of an issue with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull because I was, you know, at the time I was like 14, so I enjoyed it um, for what it was. And, like, my only 
issues with it, really. It's just, I can understand where the, the critique I've seen of that movie basically is just like, obviously like your, your corny stuff, but whatever. It's just the fact of, you know, people can buy into Ark of the Covenant and Raiders. People can buy into a lost tribe in, uh, in the second, in the Temple of Doom. And then people can buy into the Holy Grail and the Last Crusade because of like the biblical and real world implications of mm-hmm. those objects and those tribes and things. Like people at that time, especially in 2008 or 2007, people were having an issue with it, I think, because, you know, back then, even just 15 years ago, 15, 16 years ago, people weren't as open-minded to UFOs and aliens and things like that. So I think that's why a lot of people at that time had issues with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I think if you release that movie, I mean, obviously, Mm -hmm. Harrison Ford would be old. If you release that movie nowadays, I feel like people would would have responded to it much better. Like if they would have released it in 2021 Mm -hmm. or 2022. Um, So yeah, I think them getting back to the roots of like going like the biblical artifact route, I think is really nice. And uh, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how much of this is going to be young Harrison Ford versus old. And I'm interested to see how the tech gets pushed. Cause you know, we saw it in Mando with Luke. Now we're seeing it with Harrison in this. Mm -hmm. I mean, this has implications for us guys as Star Wars fans, major implications in my opinion, because if this goes over well with Harrison Ford, like say if out of the two and a half hour movie, say it's two and a half hours, what if an hour and a half of it is young Indy and it's believable? That means we have unlimited possibilities for Star Wars because that means we're basically just watching young Han Solo. Like we could get a actual... Harrison Ford, Han Solo, or an actual Mark Hamill, Luke thing, or whoever it may be. Like, even a young Ewan McGregor, Obi-Wan, like, anything, really. Like, like it's just crazy um, what they're doing with it, and I think if this goes over well, and, like, it's believable, this could have major implications for us as Star Wars fans, as well. You know, on top of Indiana Jones fans. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, certainly. And, well, since we're already talking about all the Lucasfilm properties, I'll just talk quickly about <laughs> Willow. Did you get a chance to watch this, Ben? I know you said you were going to try to watch yeah. the, the movie or something. So, I, I, didn't, I didn't end up watching the movie. I just saw, um, uh, what's his name, friend of the show, Steven Schindler, post about how he hadn't watched the movie, and he just watched the show because it had a little recap thing at oh, the yeah. beginning. So, I was like, you know what, I, I'll just watch it. I'll watch the first episode of Willow. And my quick review of that, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I, I didn't, I hadn't seen the first Willow movie because I, it just never was on my radar. Gro- like my radar Same. growing up was basically Star Wars, Jurassic Park, James Bond, Indiana <laughs> yep. Jones, Transformers. That was yep. it. <laughs> it, it. Basically that. Hey, shout out to Transformers because Rise of the Beast looks amazing, by the way. Didn't um, see the trailer. Yeah, I know you tagged me. <laughs> yep. But, um, but yeah, Willow though, I hadn't seen the movie. So I went into this movie with like, or this okay. show with, no preconceived notions of like whatever biases toward the old thing. And I think it was really entertaining. It was good. It hooked me on the story. Mm-hmm. I was surprised at some of the illusions they had in there just cause it was like animated and stuff, you know, like I, I didn't expect like some of the, like, um, you know, just the story overall, it getting, uh-huh. it, it hooks you, it hooks you with like, the lead character, like, getting taken and stuff. Uh, what's his name? Or, like, one of the lead characters, like, 
Is his name literally Eric? I think yep, the, the um, Prince Eric. Yep. Yeah, Prince Eric. Yeah, I mean him getting taken. I think that it, it was a good way of doing things because they built him up enough in the episode to like mm-hmm. have you invested in that character. Mm-hmm. So that was good. And then like just some of the different things, like for it being like Disney Plus, like I didn't expect some of the. <laughs> um, I guess you would say like adult type illusions in the show because like they cut like they 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 perfectly cut like basically it was implied there was like a sex scene that just happened and it's like wow they actually like alluded to that in this show (laughs) and i'm like and i'm like what in the world i'm like what in the world am i watching like because you know i i didn't know i'd never seen the first willows or the willow movie so i didn't know what to expect i don't know what's in the first movie but um but yeah, so like just like things like that, them adding like adult themes, them adding in an interesting story with um, the prince getting took, um, them doing a good job on like the lead the lead girl. Um, I'm terrible with these names, but but like I just think it's a really good, interesting show and the episode length. I don't know how long it was, but it felt like it was like 45 minutes or something. It was, it was a good yeah, length yeah. of an episode. Yep. And I, and I think it was just really good, and I think it's worth the watch. Like, if anybody is thinking about watching something or getting into a new series, I would recommend giving it a watch because I'm probably going to watch the second episode of Willow tonight or tomorrow night, most likely. Um, because, again, my thing is, as I'm sure you both know and our listeners know, like, when it comes to, like, our in-between time with Star Wars, it's like, okay... What show am I going to watch in the meantime until yep. the next Star Wars project comes out? So Willow is going to kind of like fill that void until Bad Batch, basically. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I'm really excited to see where the show goes. And I can't wait for next week because, like I said, I'm going to catch up over the weekend. Yeah. Milton, have you watched the original movie, 1988's Willow? Oh God, I don't think I have. I think I've seen clips. I just never no. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think. I don't, I don't think. Yeah, I think I've just seen clips, but not the whole movie. Yeah, and it's funny because I've been taking a lead, like in my mind, like I've been asking people at work, like because they're like, you know, we talk, talk movies and stuff, and it's like, oh yeah, I'm watching this show Willow, and like, like nine out of ten people are like, huh, what's Willow? So, and you know, so most people, this is the dark horse that Lucasfilm. Um, and I always wanted to have a chance of watching like other things at Lucasfilm. Uh, George Lucas was in charge of the story. This is a fantasy series analogous sort of to like Lord of the Rings at the time, right? This is out before obviously Game of Thrones and George R. R. Martin. So this is, you know, Lord of the Rings is the best way of comparing it, but not really. Um, Willow, what Willow does is it's got a lot more humor than any of the other contemporary fantasies. It's got a level of cheese to it that you just have to accept it's definitely got some like really just like you the humor is just very funny and it's 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 out there humor but at at its core the original willow it's a but it's like a fellowship of people they're going on a journey with this baby to deliver this baby over to um the humans because the um, and again, I'm I'm not I'm brand new to this. I, I just watched the first movie last weekend. <laughs> so like Ben, I'm not very sure on these words. I started listening to a podcast about Willow <laughs> earlier in the week. You're, you're, you're not you're not posting Willow Canon videos just yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But um, you have like the um the people of Warwick Davis's um stature. They are 
um, on this other end of the world, and he has to. He finds this baby. That is the baby is the key to dismantling the power of this queen, and this queen is obsessed with finding this prophesized baby. So she captures all the pregnant oh. women and basically like gets these babies and looks to see if they have this tattoo on their arm. And if they do, th then she'll basically kill the baby and, and she'll be safe. So that's how Willow opens with the mid the midwife of this actual baby, like having a, a, a heart and getting this baby out of the clutches of the queen under her nose. And that's where it ends up in the hands of Warwick Davis's Willow, Ufgood character, and that's where the well, journey begins. Well, that's another thing to throw out there. I'll let you continue in just a second. Um, yeah, wow, gosh, we're real, we're excited about a show. It's it's good, uh, and it's not even Star Wars, but uh, <laughs> one good, really good aspect of this show, definitely for anybody as well. Watch the first episode because the ending of it will hook you. Oh yeah. That, um, both episodes, both episodes one and two, they have a great cliffhanger that makes you immediately want to watch the next episode. So they orchestrate that. Um, but going off, so basically this story, in a nutshell, Willow and the series is um, about destiny. It's about um, rising up to the occasion. Willow is a farmer and he's, it's very much like a George Lucas story, right? You, you have Willow, which is basically a farmer, Luke, Luke Skywalker, that is trying to become a Jedi, essentially, because... He he wants to be a sorcerer, and Ben, I'm telling you, you gotta watch the movie now because it's gonna get it's gonna give you so much stuff like context. Like I'm sorry, but like that two minute recap does not give the film justice <laughs> because is it, there's is like, it on Disney Plus or another service? Oh yeah, it's on Disney Plus. Yeah. Oh, okay, I'll, then I'll then I'll watch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have our review of Willow next week, everybody. You know, but. <laughs> anyway, but I mean, the, 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 basically, he sets the archetypes. And you have Mad Mardigan played by Val Kilmer, who is the Han Solo type of the story. Um, so you can see George Lucas's fingerprints all over the original Willow. It's very much like this large destiny, this mythos, this grand adventure that's similar to Lord of the Rings in certain aspects with like a dark fantasy vibe and a lot of cool creatures like you would see from return of the jedi and stuff so yeah uh, fast forwarding to willows episode one and two what's great about them is they contain all the vibes of the original movie and i'm happy that they they have that cheesiness to it they didn't just try to say oh you know we're like the modern dc we're gonna make this all dark yep. and gritty we're gonna go into deep end it's gonna be epic dark fantasy no the, and what's great is it really stand there's been a lot of great fantasy that came out this year between house of dragons rings of power and this stands on its own as its own unique entity and it 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 definitely feels way different than those but it's able to still be propped up to having really great set design really great costume design environments really great colorful characters uh, Bar Gear or whatever the guy, the prisoner guy is really cool, who is a squire of Mad Mardigan. You have some of the original cast, uh, Scorsia, the, the original actress is back playing the queen. And then you have like one of the, uh, the friends of Warwick Davis's Willow is there as well. It's just a good time. And it's all about, um, the series is there's a lot of good themes so far to the series. I'm very surprised by the themes. Like a lot of the characters, most of the characters are very rich. Uh, like those two kids, uh, the one, the one daughter, right? She's having to marry off to this kid, but then 
she doesn't really, it's an arranged marriage. So it's kind of like Mon Mothma's situation with her. She's like, I don't want to do this. I'm going to do this adventure instead. So it's like taking your own reins and your own destiny, your own fate and, 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 and stuff about, it's very much, and you guys are probably going to not like this sentiment. Last Jedi-esque. You got <laughs> Willow. <laughs> it's like, I'm not watching this now. No, He's like, no, oh, no. like canceled. <laughs> Cancel, cancel but, the show. But, but here we are. So Willow's been away for like 20 years. He's he, Last we've seen him, he's he's just, he's got the book. He's going to be doing the magic. And it's the he, the classic story of the hero going seeking out the masterful wizard for help. And you have Willow that has kind of gone underground and is not the best or... wizard at this point. Or, actually, let's not say Last Jedi so we don't get a negative association with it. Or it's more like Luke going to Dagobah with Yoda more retired. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and the main character, the main character of the Willow series gives me major Luke Skywalker in Ray vibes oh, as yeah. well. Um, and I'm not going to go into any further than that because, um, I, you know, but I will say just give it a chance. Give it a chance. They have two episodes out. Like I said to Ben, I do recommend watching the movie first for more context. And it's a good, feel-good movie anyway to watch. It's not like you're doing homework. It's actually a really entertaining movie. Um, so there's our uh, two cents on stuff that's happening at Lucasfilm. And, and just one final thing about our discussions here at the back half of this episode. I'm just happy to see that Lucasfilm is stretching its legs out there. Um, or, or flexing its muscles, I guess, is the, the correct uh, phrase. Because... They are not just Star Wars, and I want to see them do more than just Star well, Wars all the time. I like the fact that they have a fantasy series, they have a, like a modern alternate history series, and a science fiction fantasy series. Like They have all their bases covered, and hopefully Willow gets renewed for another season. I know, oh, and I got to mention this as well. The Willow series has a lot of Star Wars creators and actors in it. So first off, you have Aaron Kellyman playing Jade, who is like the, the the friend in the night of the princess. Then you also have one of, uh, Eunice Montanamo, who plays Chewbacca in the recent movies. He's playing one of the, 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 the basically like the four horsemen of the apocalypse type of people, which are very good designs, by the way, that are made by Neil Scanlon, who worked on Solo and, a, and Andor and a couple other things. He makes the creatures. You also have, obviously, Warwick Davis. I mean, Wicket all the other little side characters in Star Wars. Then you have John Kasdan, who wrote Solo, Star Wars Story, with his father. And then Ron Howard, who directed the original Willow, is the executive producer. So, yeah, the Star Wars fingerprints are all over this thing. It's like a solo, oh. it's like a solo reunion, this show. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Like, for one final, final thing. Okay, guys, give me a one-word answer if you could see, you know, we're talking about Lucasfilm doing these different projects and things. If you could see Lucasfilm do a different type of genre from Star Wars or Indiana Jones, what would it be? For me, comedy. Hmm. Uh, screw like it. Horror. Or <laughs> mystery. Hey, there we go. All right. Horror, mystery, and comedy. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because they do have some of those episodes, like, for instance, like some of those Clone Wars yeah. episodes with the zombies and all that kind of stuff. That was pretty cool, right? So, yeah, yeah so 
there you go. That's our little discussion. If you want to hear us talking more about Lucasfilm, let us know in the comment section below, <laughs> and we'll uh, maybe we'll have like five minute like Willow discussions on every episode or something like that. It could be fun. It could be fun. But um, yeah, as far as this week, uh, you know, I'm going to be playing World of Warcraft Dragonflight, trying to get to level seventy. And uh, other than that, not much else. Uh, like I said, off the top of the show, I have my reviews for The High Republic Convergence, the latest novel in The High Republic Phase 2, as well as uh, a look at one of the short stories that came out in uh, Insider Magazine 215 for The High Republic Phase 2. What are you guys going to be up to? Uh, I'm going to a, a rap con- concert oh. tomorrow. Oh, nice. I'm going to see Nelly. Oh, my gosh. Oh, dang, I was just listening Dude. to him this morning. I don't know if I should admit this, but I guess I have to now that I put it out there. I think that was like next to Smash Mouth. That might have been the first CD I ever bought. Was like his hit CD. Yeah. <laughs> Can you believe it? Me of all That's people awesome. listening to Nelly, but it was on the radio all over the place. Like, yeah, I like this. This is good. This is good. It's fine. Man, that's awesome. That that's gonna be a blast, man. It's it's gonna be hot. I can't wait. It's gonna be tight. Yeah, yeah, I've been trying to get out to more festivals. It's, I I keep seeing like every other week there's like a new like crazy uh, lineup festival with stuff that I want to see, and then I realize oh I'm going to Disney World this year or next year, and then I'm also going to Europe, so I really can't be spending frivolously because I got to save. <laughs> yeah, it's only I mean only a few months away, guys. But yeah, for me, you know nothing nothing too crazy, nothing nothing like going to a concert. That's for sure. More mm. like just uh. Probably watching the second episode of Willow. Probably gonna watch the um, the movie of it just because I don't have much going on tomorrow night. So probably just gonna be watching those things, catching catching up on those, and watching sports, and then just getting ready for another week of getting back to the fitness grind. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, um, you know, Milton, if you weren't here, basically, you know, I've been dealing with some like little strains here and there. So I took the last couple weeks off lifting, and now like I finally figured out a good. Sp- workout split for me so now it's like finally back to the groove of things and it's like i could finally get back to lifting consistently so you know that's all i'll be up yeah that's all i'll be up to this weekend and leading up into our next next week next week's episode and for me um you know if you want to find me talking about this sort of stuff you can find me on twitter and instagram at real ben maynard there you go milton yeah you can find me uh on instagram at Milton Weber, or excuse me, Milton Seven Weber, on Twitter at Milton Weber Seven. But yeah, this weekend I'll be at the concert tomorrow, and hopefully watching the Eagles on Sunday. Hopefully, you're like a diehard fan. I would imagine you're gonna watch well, it. Just, it just depends when we get water. back. That's all it is, dude. It's just <laughs> waiting on my people to get me back here in time. <laughs> you gotta be like my father. He DVRs Eagles, and he'll be like. No spoilers. Yeah, I, I haven't saved. I haven't saved on here, but you know, I get the alerts because the fantasy. I play fantasy football. Oh, so oh yeah. Shoot. I don't know what's gonna happen, but I have uh, it on my phone too. So I'll if, it, if I need to watch it on my phone on my way home. I will. <laughs> there you so, go. So there you go for Milton, for Ben, for I, Chris, aka Star Raptor. This was Outer Room Transmission, episode number eighty-five. We hope you all enjoyed the show. Join us back next week for maybe some. Video game trailer breakdowns with Jedi Survivor coming out around the corner. Getting the buzz out of the Game Awards. Most likely going to happen. But until next week, that's going to do it for us here. Thanks for watching and transmission.